This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. You made it another week. And, uh, boy, if you're any of the BYU fans, you also might have a child graduating today. Because I ran into some major traffic. What could be worse than um, this last day of your life stuck in traffic? It was snowing at my house. Really? I had snow in April. April 28th? Snow! I could think of a few worse things. Did you? Yeah, well, yeah. Death? Well, Um, is it? That traffic was pretty bad today. It might be. I mean, it might. Yeah, it's probably better than that. Um, We've got a great uh, show for you today. So much to get into because it's Friday. We're going to help you ease into your weekend, of course. And uh, today we'll be talking about leadership. Um, And then, of course, some empty news. We like to throw a little bit of that in there. Matt Townsend News, just, you know, latest and greatest things that make you human. Stuff you got to learn. Stuff you got to get through. Plus, of course... um, uh, later in the show, um, hour number three of the program, Jeffrey is going to be doing just a little bit more of his media show because next week we have a huge debut of that. In fact, we, we're going to put together a big launch. Probably balloons will be involved. Um, maybe a jingle or two. He'll he will give you the official name of the show all next week. Balloons? Yeah, I'm going to buy a balloon for you. Thank you. Yeah. That was my key for Sutherland. Thank you. Say it again. It's always whispered. Thank you. <laughs> it's because Kiefer's, you know, always had like broken ribs and a bullet in his leg. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, fun day again. Um, happy Friday to you. And uh, before we get everything started, let's just get straight to the headlines with Terry South. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Terry, what's up? David Dow, the passenger who was dragged off a United Airlines flight, has reached a settlement with the airline, promised to keep mum on the amount. I'm going to disclose that. Mr. Munoz, CEO of United, said that he was going to do the right thing, and he has. Dow's attorney, Thomas Dimitro, said in a statement referring to United Airlines uh, CEO, in addition, United has taken full responsibility for what happened on flight 3411 without attempting to blame others, including the city of Chicago. For this acceptance of corporate accountability, United is to be applauded. The statement, which includes a provision that the amount will remain confidential, was reached the same day the airline announced protocol changes. We talked about yesterday they're going to bump that uh, maximum compensation for being booted off the plane to $10,000. Police will not be involved in removing passengers from the airplane. And everyone gets uh, special fancy peanuts, not just the salted kind. Hey, guys, we're going to get you some salted this time. We're going to get you some nice ones. Just upgrade that peanut quality. Yeah. State of NASA's spacesuit supply looks to be bleak in a new report from the space agency's auditor. NASA is still years away from having a new spacesuit ready for future deep space missions. The report claims even though the agency has invested close to $200 million in spacesuits development since 2007, NASA seems to be running out of spacesuits as it does not ha- that it does have for use for astronauts on the International Space Station. Wow! Only a fraction of the original spacesuits supply for the station is fully functional right now. They may not they may risk not having enough spacesuits to last through the end of the space station program, which is currently scheduled to 2024. So they started with 18 suits. Now they're down to 11. Hold on, they're we not spe- all fully functional. We spent 200. Yeah, since 2000 billion or million million. We spent $200 million on spacesuits right. in 10 years, yeah. and we have 18. Yeah. Well, and actually, there, we're down to 11. There's 11 fully functional. 
Most, wow. You know, if you can if you can use the suit without life support, then we have eighteen. It seems like it's time that we need to start. You know, repurposing. Maybe people need to bring in their old suits. Could be. Maybe they're taking them home. Maybe that's the that's problem. That's the problem. Your suits have that. Let's just make the rule right now. Your your space suit has yep. to stay at work. Well, that might be a new. Can't take change. it home. Your headphones too. Yeah, headphones too. <laughs> Thursday night, the Cleveland Browns selected Miles Garrett as the first overall pick in the NFL draft. He's six foot four, two hundred seventy-two pound defensive lineman from Texas A&M from about three months ago. Most of the nation had no idea who he was. Yeah, I mean, not I, only a small part of the nation claims to know who he is. <laughs> he had thirty-one sacks over three years, though. He's huge. He's huge. But he's going to Cleveland, so yeah. One of them, Bowles, that's going to um, Denver, had his baby up there. Yeah, cute little story about his cute little baby. It's awesome. I've got about a hundred uh, sacks in my storage room. You know the grocery sacks that yeah, you save. No, we're talking about football sacks oh. uh, where you tackle the quarterback. Hmm. And finally, orthodontists in Canada are aghast at a social media trend that is gaining popularity with tweens and teens. Do-it-yourself braces. Oh, brother! The idea isn't new, but its increasing number of images online and videos can be found on sites like Instagram, Snapchat, and YouTube promoting the idea. They mostly feature young girls sitting at kitchen tables or their bedroom or bathrooms demonstrating how to loop together homemade teeth-straightening gadgets and then lasso them around incisors and canines. The materials are simple. Tiny, often colorful rubber bands as well Mm -hmm. as folded bits of aluminum foil, paper clips, fishing line, and pierced earring backs. Wow. Yeah. The American Association of Orthodontists reports that nearly 13% of members are seeing patients who have tried these DIY teeth-straightening gadgets, as well as other methods such as biting on pencils, making fake retainers, and pushing teeth with fingers. People ranging in ages from 8 to over 60 years old are attempting to straighten their own teeth with stuff from the junk drawer. Are the parents behind this? Are they saying, we don't have the insurance, you got to do this yourself? Get in there and bite on that pencil. That's weird. I, I mean, don't you remember as a child pretending to have, like, braces? Did no. Did you ever put anything in your mouth that you, you pretended, like, was a retainer? No. No. I oh, probably really? bit on a pencil a few times, but... Huh. That was more just out of habit rather it, than... Yeah, I mean, right. it was just me. And then, uh, you know, also I'd go like this with the pencil, yeah, kind of wag it, make, look, it, make it look like it's rubber. A rubbery pencil. Yeah. But... Uh, boy, I've never heard of um, I've never heard of them actually doing it to straighten their teeth. Boy, that's wild. What will you think of next? Um, do it yourselfers. I bet it's I bet there's somebody on YouTube showing how to do it. Snapchat, Instagram. Yeah, but don't you think? Because like, there's got to be something out there to get a bunch of people to think this yeah. is a good idea. Well, and then there's a follow up video with that same person in the dentist's office saying, "Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking." <laughs> that's all they need to do is show the pain. If they would just show the pain associated with um, with messing this up, I'm going to bet people will back off. Ah! Exactly. Yeah. That's probably about right, too. Is that the only pain sound we have? <laughs> it's the best one we have. It's, it's the very best one we've got. Uh, by the way, today is Cubicle Day. Cubicle Day is the day that we... We celebrate, I guess, the um, conforming standards and customized cubes that uh, have taken away all of our individuality in corporate America. Here's an audio version of Jeff's cubicle as he's writing a new masterpiece. This is why it takes me a long time to uh, get my work done. Yeah. Have you heard of a computer or, you know? 
I'm old school. Yeah. You're not even using a word processor. So, yeah, I don't even press buttons for all these sound effects. These are all real. And I've just got a bunch is, of gadgets back here. You know, it's like old-time radio. I just wish somebody could read what you're writing here because it makes no sense. It's just a bunch of letters. You just I found re- the one that I regret repeats. to inform you that four pairs of <laughs> headphones are missing. Ah, oh, you're bad. Okay, uh, interesting, interesting stuff, I must say. So um, I, I don't know what to do. I have, my, I, have a, I, I have a daughter going away on a trip. Is this the daughter? My only daughter. Yeah. And they're leaving for 14 days, I think 15 days. Are you going to be okay? I'm, I'm fine, but she's, they're leaving their child with us and with the other grandparents. And so, so it's going to be the greatest this is gonna, vacation so that they'll ever have. They, they're, they're excited, except they're actually devastated because they don't want to leave their daughter. But they have this trip to Europe planned, and you just don't want to drag a daughter through Europe, a baby, 18-month-old daughter, 16-, 17-month-old daughter. So I will officially be regressing re, um, back to your stages of having a young child in my home again. That almost sounded like... I'm I'm going to come down to your level for a couple of weeks. Yeah. I'm going to condescend a little. It's I just feel like I'm going to be you know one of you brothers again. Just we're going to be in a brotherhood again of the young baby brotherhood. Welcome back. Not sure if I'm ready to get up in the middle of the night. <laughs> how, old, sh- how old are you talking? How old is she? She's 16 months. Not like sure I'm ready to diaper she's again. She's not sleeping? Oh, she's sleeping the night? Yeah, probably. Hmm. But, she, but, but it'll be in a different house. Right. So that could She's not changing of... her own diapers yet? No. What's up with that? Oh, what about the independence, man? Mm-mm. So just no. I may be off a little bit for a few weeks. Like Slip. not here or not in sync? No. Oh, I'll be here. Well, what do you get in return for this? This is a big I, ask. This is the neat thing is you get to be with your grandbaby, which is the mm. greatest thing in the world. Sounds like a scam. We bought a swing for her. <laughs> We've, oh, wow. You've invested. Honestly, you know what else we got was some really good treats. So you've already lost money on the deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is going to be nothing but a money just hole. But This is the first grandkid, right? Yeah. So This, okay. this is, by the way, my favorite So you're not seeing clearly then? No. Wait, this is the only grandchild, this right? This is yep, the favorite one. Okay. The she's, best. She's the best? The best grandchild. Anyway, I just wanted you guys to know that because I'm, I'm just afraid I might be a little bit off. Little high strung, mm. yeah. It's just a lot of there's just because she also likes stairs, and so we will be stopping her from stairs. <sighs> you have a gate. We have one gate, but we have two areas where she can get into stairs. You have one of them nifty leash backpacks. You can just no. kind of tie her off somewhere yeah. in the house. We're no? kind of funny that way. We as a family have decided not to treat our children oh. like livestock. Okay, here's what you need to do. Yeah. You just need to cover your stairs in those eggshell carton cushions. Great and then idea. at the bottom of the stairs, just have a huge pile of pillows. And then you don't need the gate. And then she'll have a great time. Oh. I think I, I, I don't know. This is maybe the brotherhood I didn't want to be in. These ideas are kind of extreme. I did buy a swim noodle so I mm. could play Star Wars with her and, you know. She'll have fun. Beat her around with yeah. her. Is that where we get the expression uh, 40 lashes and a, a wet noodle? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. What, where, in fact, that was famous. Where? Where did uh, that come from? In Italy, they're very big with pasta there. So yeah, forty lashes and a wet noodle. <laughs> anyway, we got a great show. We will be talking about the power of positive leadership um, with a with a professor and a, a, a teacher that talks all about leadership and the impact one person can have on a culture. So uh, stick with us on that one. Welcome to the journey. Happy Friday to you. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Uh, you know, as we're trying to get our next guest on the line, one of the things I wanted to uh, to make sure we cover today is NBA. Because I, the Utah Jazz are now in a, a big game tonight. It, am I hearing you correctly? Why? You're, what? Where? You're Where? actually talking about the Jazz, whereas before today you've flat out refused to even mention their name like you wouldn't even yeah. say the word jazz well i didn't want to i was afraid i didn't want to i didn't want to have a curse i didn't want the jazz to be cursed but now that they're up 3 games to 2 you feel like maybe it's a little more safe well now what i realized is it doesn't matter <laughs> you just now realized that well, i realized a <laughs> i am not worried about uh, i'm not superstitious but b i also know better than anybody that once if the jazz can be done with this series with the clippers they then need to go on and play the biggest team and best team in the warriors in the country is so that who's next if they win who would be next so i'm going to just start giving them some attention today just come in with a rally hat every day and then everything will balance yeah, out. A little rally cap upside down. Um, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Hey, uh, we, we're, we're going to talk leadership today. And our leader, uh, our guest is John Jordan. He is the author of the book, The Power of Positive Leadership. Uh, and John Gordon um, is the author of The Positive uh, Leader, uh, po- The Power of Positive Leadership. I'm having a really difficult moment. Um, but here's the deal. When you think about it, you know, it's one thing to just, you know, lead and just be a natural leader that can kind of get in there and make stuff happen, I guess. But you've also got to remember that when you're leading, you, you want to lead people. So you got to get the relationship side down. You got to lead the culture. You got to find a way to get everybody on the same page and get the team connected. So they're all engaging with each other and committed to each other. So. Leadership's a tough thing anyway, so who better to help us than John Gordon? Uh, John is a graduate of Cornell University, holds a master's in teaching from Emory University. He and his training and consulting company are passionate about developing positive leaders and have been coaching uh, teams in the NFL, the NBA, college coaches, as well as Fortune 500 companies and school districts. John Gordon, thank you so much for being with us today. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Now, let me ask you, because your book is The Power of Positive Leadership. And when you talk positive, are you are you talking just, you know, kind of have a great attitude, be positive? Or, or how are you framing this idea of positive leadership? I'm glad you asked that, because this is not about Pollyanna positive, right? This is about positive leaders who believe in a brighter and better future. They're optimistic about it, but they also 
take the actions necessary to create it. They pursue excellence. They're, they're demanding, but they're not demeaning. So they really are about like being our best, pursuing excellence, but not allowing the negativity, the apathy, and the indifference to get in the way. But we have to ask ourselves, you know, pessimists don't create the future. Naysayers talk about problems, but they don't solve them. And positive leaders, they, under, they understand that there are complaints and problems, but, but they're more apt to focus on the solution. So that's really how we're framing this. And it's about what positive leaders do to ultimately transform their teams and organizations and change the world. Very much like, I mean, let's look at the Utah Jazz, right? I've been watching that team. Yeah. They're playing so well. They're playing so well as a team right now. And their optimism and belief in each other and what they're doing is manifesting itself on the court. And then the team, the team does well, but the, then the organization loves it. The city loves it. The state loves it. I mean, I guess that's what you mean by culture, too, right? I mean, culture is is nothing more than the the compilation of relationships and systems and behaviors that are the collective that come from the leader. Very much so. And we need to understand that we create our success inside out, not outside in. You just nailed it when you said this team is getting everyone else excited. So as the team has their culture and their relationships and they start to play at their highest level, what happens is they now have an impact on everyone around them. And so culture that's strong on the inside has an impact on the world on the outside. And as a leader, you have to understand that you are driving the culture. And it's so essential that you drive it every day because culture can slip and fade away very quickly. So you always have to keep on building and growing and investing in your culture. And then know that every member of your team is also creating the culture by what they think, uh, what they say, and ultimately what they do. Is um, I, I mean, I guess the thing is, I, we assume leaders, I guess, are born and then we can learn some skills. But is it a teachable thing? Is it what is it that makes us that makes people want to follow us? Well, just like any skill or any you know talent or ability or gift, some people have it more than others. So some people play basketball better. Some are just naturally funny. Some people are more apt to be more natural leaders. We see that in a lot of people. But this is a skill that anyone can become a more positive leader. It's why I wrote this book. I'm already hearing from teachers, from principals, from coaches, from business people that are saying, you know what, John, I'm already using some of these principles with my team. It's already making a difference. Just by taking time to invest in relationships, just by being a little more positive each day, by not walking in the building and complaining, you're going to make a more positive difference by the way you lead. It's so true. I mean, we all know kind of the Eeyore of the group that walks in, you know, heavy, always has the heavy story, always is down. Is um, So what do you do when you wake up, John, you're the leader of a company, and you're just not feeling up? Do you, do you believe in the fake it till you make it idea, or how no, do you, how do no, you get I, up? Yeah, I'm not big on that. You know, not everyone is going to feel positive every day. And actually, one of the last chapters in the book is about positive leaders, leaders lead with purpose. And those are the days that we need a purpose to give us something to be positive about. That's, why you're, that's where your why must be greater then your challenges, your purpose must be, must be greater than ultimately how you feel. So when you walk in, you realize, hey, I can be a germ or a big dose of vitamin C to my team around me because I am contagious as a leader. If you know that you're going to impact people in a negative way and you're really having a tough time, I've had those days. Some days my daughter says, Dad, you need to read your own book. 
So I've had those days. And when I experience those days, I know that I'm just going to stay away from people today because I'm just having a rough day. And then, but I ultimately believe that tomorrow is going to be better. So it's about what can I do to turn it around and get myself in a more positive state of mind. Is there, I guess, do positive people uh, hire more positive people or do positive people, because they're positive, feel like they can, you know, lead anyone? I believe positive people, and what I've seen is positive people do hire more positive people. They build great teams. They build a great culture. They bring in the kind of people that are attracted to a more positive environment. Again, this is not Pollyanna. Research shows that optimistic people, positive people, they work harder. They get paid more. They're more likely to succeed in business, sports, and politics. I work with Clemson football for the past five years. Mm. I have watched as Dabo Sweeney has turned around that program with his optimism, with his belief. When he took over the program, he brought two signs into the meeting room with the team, a sign that said believe, another sign that said I can't with the T crossed out. He started with belief because he knew that Clemson had talent but lacked belief. And every day he was instilling that in his team, and we saw it manifest in the national championship. Even on that last drive, Deshaun Watson, who just got drafted, I was standing right there. He said, hey, let's go be legendary. Let's be great, is what he said to his team before that last drive. How cool. Yeah, Dabo Sweeney, is, he's the perfect example, it seems like. Of... He is, and he's in the book. I, I wrote a lot about him in the book. I wrote about Donald Orinder, uh, Alan Mulally, who turned around Ford in 2006. They were losing $14 billion. He had him profitable in a few years, one of the greatest leadership feats in history people talk about. It's unbelievable what he did. He did it through a lot of love, but a lot of accountability, but he defined his leadership style as positive leadership. Mm. And I guess the key to positive leadership is, so the, the, leader, the positive and the leadership has to result in performance. You have to eventually be getting the results, or you're just, you really are just a nice guy. Right. Donna Orinder said, yeah, yeah, Donna Orinder, who, who became the commissioner of the WNBA when WNBA was not doing very well, and she saw that there was a lot of apathy, a lot of negativity. People didn't think the WNBA could be anything special. She came in with a lot of optimism, belief, but she said, John, you also have to be effective. It's not just being positive, but it's about being effective. And what I have found in interviewing these people and all the leaders I've worked with that I share these stories in the book is that it's also about pursuing excellence. It's like, okay, we're here to get results. We're here to accomplish something great. And because they believe in a brighter and better future, they're willing to take the actions necessary to create it to be great. So it's not like, hey, you know, let's create a brighter and better future, but we're going to do it in an average way. No, positive leaders want to be great. And that's a myth that, you know, that positive leaders are just about hunky-dory, you know, holding hands, kumbaya, smiling all the time. They're not about results. No, that, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Mm. What do you do if you don't, if you're not like in a managerial position, you can still be a leader in, in the entry-level position, right? Everyone is a leader. I'm glad you said that because everyone influences the people around them. So you could be in a team of two and lead your other person. My wife leads me. I mean, just that's how it works. Right. Uh, that's, but that's, no, that's a joke. But, oh. <laughs> but I mean, we, lead each, we, we, we lead each other in, in a very positive way. But sometimes, you know, she'll hold me accountable. Like, hey, I think you should do this with the kids. Okay, you know, you need to get better here. All right, I, you know, I will. I'll say the same with her. So you're always leading the people around you at work. If you are even, you know, entry-level, frontline worker, you are leading your team by the way you act, 
by the way you interact with your customers, by the way you interact with your team members. Mm. Talk to us about, um, so if you were going to break down uh, the positive leader into traits or skills, what, what, are, what would those traits look like? What does, what, how would we distinguish a real, uh, the positive leader? Right. I'm glad you asked that because this is what the book's all about. It's about positive leaders drive positive cultures. They create and share a positive vision for the road ahead. They inspire with that vision, but they also lead with purpose. They provide both love and accountability. Those two ingredients are the keys. Alan Mullally, Dabo Sweeney, Donna Orinder, Dave Roberts of the Dodgers, Marva Collins, one of the great educators and principals in history who transformed the lives of her students. I can go on and on, but love and accountability are key. Demanding without being demeaning. Telescope and microscope. Big picture vision, but zoom focus action that we need to take to realize that big picture. And then positive leaders provide a lot of clarity that leads to focus action. You've got to remove the clutter so your team can take focus action. Positive leaders also take out the negativity. They, they, they transform the negativity first and foremost, but if they can't do that, they will remove the negativity. And then one of the key ingredients that I share in the book is grit. Positive leaders have grit. They're, they're able to just continue to move forward through all the obstacles and setbacks. Steve Jobs, again, who wasn't positive with his team, but he had incredible vision and incredible optimism, optimism and passion and grit to transform Apple and ultimately our society with the products he created. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this, John. Let's take a break uh, and continue the discussion on the power of positive leadership. More with John Gordon in a minute, folks, helping you get the skills, the tools, the information you need to live a healthier, happier life and be a powerful, positive leader. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us is John Gordon, the author of the book, The Power of Positive Leadership. And uh, the principles he teaches in this book have been put to the test by numerous NFL, NBA, college coaches and teams, Fortune 500 companies. And uh, he is, uh, he's, he's got the energy, but he's also got the, the, the real principles behind it. And today we're going to be learning more about how to bring that uh, positivity into our leadership style, into the teams we build. John, thank you again for being with us. Uh, thanks so much. Talk about um, how we how we do this. So it's you know it's it's one thing I guess to kind of have the emotion of positivity and or just to maybe even be optimistic. But but you're also talking about building a culture and um, strengthening relationships, but about visioning and creating goals together. And so. How, how? What are some basic skills that we could all start learning um, about bringing the positivity into our lives? Well, the book is not just theory and principles. It, there are a lot of practices in the book. can't share too much because I want people to read it and benefit from it. But I do want to share some good takeaways for people today that they can actually start right now. And, for instance, when you want to share vision with your team and organization, a powerful way to do that is to to share the vision, talk about the vision, even come together as a team and decide what the vision is, and then ask each person on your team what the vision means to them. And then 
what's their personal vision? And how could their personal vision contribute to this bigger vision? And then you ask them, how can I help you achieve your vision? That simple conversation actually brings vision to life in your people and then provides a way for you to all to work together towards it. And they also know that you care about them. So that's a powerful exercise people can do. But by the that way, that, and that could work with that. everybody, right? That could work with me and my, you know, someone that I go to church with or somebody that I, I you know, I'm just mentoring or, or yeah. I mean, when you ask him, what can I do to help you, you know, reach your goals? That's powerful. Very powerful. I mean, that is a great way to disciple people, mentor people, invest in relationships with people. See, positive leaders, they unite the organization, but they also connect with the individual. So a big chapter in this book, it's the longest chapter, is about investing in relationships that really build great teams. And that's one of the practices that you can do to do that. And also, my favorite exercise to build a team is is called the safe seat. Davo Sweeney put a chair in the middle of a team meeting room, called it a safe seat. And every day after practice, a different player would sit in that chair and Dabba would ask him about his life, about his hero, his hardship, a highlight, and then a defining moment in his life. And as each person sat in that chair and shared who they were, the team got closer and closer because the walls of pride and ego and selfishness came crumbling down and they became vulnerable. And then there became this incredible connection and love for each other because they knew the struggles that they had faced. They knew their stories. They knew their defining moments. So that's a really powerful wow. practice. My favorite is when, yeah, when, when teams go around, you just grab a group of five or six, even a small team. Hey, what's one of your defining moments in your life that made you who you are today? You get to know your team a whole lot better when you do that. And by, what a great interview question, too. I mean, even though that's not a safe seat in a brand new interview in a job, but if you could get your team together sharing, you know, what are your most incredible moments, your most impactful moments, and do that over time in your team meetings, that could change a lot. Oh, very much so. I mean, it's, it's huge. And then encouragement. I mean, positive leaders, they encourage their team members. They love them. They serve them. They invest in them. They care about them. I call it Love, Serve, Care. I wrote a book called The Carpenter. The Love, Serve, Care comes from that. I wove that in this book as well. It's cool stuff. What? Um, and again, the relationship thing, I think that that's what we fail to see in a business environment because – you know, my, the relationship is almost upside down because we're not equals. I'm your boss. I'm here to hire you. But in a real relationship, we have to be on the same level emotionally in order to share and to be vulnerable. Yeah, we have to be someone who, who actually serves the people you lead and invest in a relationship with them. And it's not their job to serve you. It's your job to serve them. But as you do that, they grow and then they help you grow. And then it's also about, you know, investing in the root of the tree if you want the fruit. We live in a world that everyone wants to focus on the numbers and the outcome and the fruit. But if you invest in the fruit and not the root, the tree will die. Mm. But focus on the root and you'll always have a great supply of fruit. You, you mentioned in their uh, goal that there's kind of there's, – there's always this goal, this one goal when it comes to positive leaders about uh, people performing at their personal best. Um, talk about that and why – I mean because, again, you can only ask them to do what they can do, but a lot of times yep. we're not focused on that. No, I call it love tough instead of tough love. So if your team knows you love them and care about them, they'll allow you to push them and challenge them to grow. So a positive leader brings out the best in the people they lead. 
again, you can't drive anyone else's bus, right? They right. have to be the driver of their own bus. I wrote a book, The Energy Bus. But they have to make sure that they're, you know, if they're, if they're being their best or striving to be their best, you can help them on the journey. Or maybe they're just struggling with fear. Maybe they're not their best because they, it looks like they're being lazy, but actually maybe they're scared. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe there's something holding them back. So identifying what's holding them back, helping them move forward, they know you care about them. That's key. I, I talked to a lot of metal coaches, you know, that will reach out to me who work with teams and so forth. And I say, you know, the greatest strategy you can share with someone is not some kind of metal strategy to help them be great. It's actually the love that you have for the player that you're coaching. Right. It's that relationship right. that actually truly drives motivation. That's cool. Does um, and, and you? It's interesting with your energy bus book. Um, because part of this is about energy too, right? I mean, positivity is an energy, and if you, you, you could actually then invigorate, which you see a lot of uh, companies and organizations, they just are they're just disengaged. They're just out of, they're just empty. They're out of energy. Yeah, that's why your energy bus is my most popular book. It sold over a million copies and was rejected by thirty publishers when it first came out. So I had to stay a lot stay very positive during that time it took it five or six years for it to become a a big hit you know it took me a while to 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 share this message around the country but what i realized and the reason why it spread so fast is because there's so much negativity in organizations because there's such a lack of of energy and there's a lot of apathy and indifference so this book is like a follow-up to that it's all of the lessons i've learned the past 10 years since that book's been out it's been out since 2007. Wow. And so I've learned, I've learned so many lessons along this journey with the leaders who have done it and what they've done and how they've done it. So this is sort of like, here's what leaders do to build their teams with energy, but more practices and more expertise that I've learned along the way. Mm. As, uh, as, we, as we need to wrap up, what would you say is the one thing, if, if there's one thing that we should all take away uh, from the book, The Power of Positive Leadership, something that we could do today, uh, other than, I guess, go buy the book. What could we do today to immediately find that leadership? I wasn't going to say that. I wasn't going to say that, but but thank you. But I think it's about, you know, being a positive leader just doesn't just make you better. It makes everyone around you better. And that's a key thing to know that just by you working on your own positive leadership – you will impact the people around you. So what can you do today? You could do something that enhances your optimism, your positivity, the way you feel. I believe you can take a thank you walk and just walk around the building, walk around outside, and just think about what you're thankful for in that moment. I believe you could start a success journal at night. What went great today? Not all the things that went wrong, but what's the one thing that went right? Or maybe you can find one person that's, that's down right now and you can encourage them. Just reach out to them and just share some encouragement. I find that as leaders, when we invest in others and help others improve, we improve. When we encourage others, we're also bringing out the best within us. Good stuff. Good stuff. John Gordon is, name, is his name. The Power of Positive Leadership is, uh, is a, a wonderful book you can go and um, start looking into. Just go to johngordon.com, a great place to begin, plus the Energy Bus and other books that he's written. It's about positivity and really, and it's about leadership Um, and not just like you said, not to be Pollyanna-ish, but we all know who's positive around us and we all know what energy they're bringing and we want to be with them. We want to be like them and we're willing to follow them. Remember, are you a leader if no one's following? 
And if no one's uh, taking you seriously or, or actually willing to to be there for you. So interesting stuff, folks. Helping you be the good in the world. We will take a break, come back, and continue the journey uh, here in this crazy thing we call life. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, and so grateful for uh, Jeffrey Simpson, who helps make sure that I come in after the drop of the song. Yes. Because I, my timing's horrible. I mean, really, like yesterday, I shot and I I was too, I I jumped in before the drop. Yeah. And there's nothing worse. It was a disaster. Than having it drop after you've started. Maybe if you stopped playing with your son's little spinner toy that you've got in your hand right there, your concentration might be a little better. Yeah, I doubt it. Can't wait till mine shows up. The uh, so by the way, there's all these little gadgets now for fidgety people. Fidgeties. So you can just now. I have a spinner that I'll even spin it for you. Here we go. Here we go. There it is. It's just gonna go. For and it's just I don't even know what you, it looks like. It looks like a piece that fell off the car. Yeah. Except it's gold plated. And of course, um, why that, would you get anything less? It's actually spray painted gold. Oh, right. There's no gold plating on this thing. But uh, kids now need fidget toys because it helps, and I guess some of the research uh, or their claims yes. are by having the ability to move your hands and spin your fingers and do all these fun little things with these little gadgets, it keeps your mind flowing. And so it, I'm it, testing it, it to improves see if dexterity. it helps me. Does it? Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, do you need dexterity? I mean, I'm not going to be no. playing pro ball. I will admit, I'd rather have my kids doing playing with those toys than, you know, getting into drugs or yeah. guns no, or I, pornography. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, so yeah. they're sponsored by the Matt Townsend Show. We do believe fidget toys are better than drugs, alcohol, uh, gangs, and guns. Nice. A little uh, sponsorship there. Yeah. Hey, um, you've been doing some research for us, haven't you, Terry? Something that annoys me, my car, when when it runs out of gas, mm-hmm. it gets close, it'll get to about where it says uh, I, it's, it has the digital readout. It'll tell you how many miles you can go on this tank of gas. And it when it hits about 50, the light comes on and then the display turns to low. It just says low oh, instead low of fuel. telling you how many miles left that you have to drive your car. Well, that's that's not good. I guess the implication is go get gas. We're not going to tell you because we don't want you to play this game of trying to. Have you ever pushed it? Like, if you pushed it to the end, would it go red and flash really low? I don't know because I don't dangerously low. I I mean, once the light comes on, if I start watching, you know, the mileage, you can sit there and watch the odometer and figure that out. Yeah. So I found this article that tells you, based on your car model, how far you should be able to go. How much to push once the light comes on. Okay, but be honest really quickly. When you see that uh, that needle going beneath the E or you see yeah, that yeah. you're out of miles, do you sometimes think that, oh, they're just in cahoots with the gas company. They're just trying to trick me. At some level. If I, if I have 40 <laughs> miles, right, I yeah. can drive from my house to work. I, I have yeah. never, no problem. So, I've never, I don't have never these conspiracy theories. Oh, like that. it's just a scam. I mean, I do, to when it me. says I need to go get an oil change. <laughs> it's just big gas. That, I know, is a scam. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Mm. But gas, I mean, I'm thinking they're trying to help me. No, it's just a, a being con- stuck. conspiracy with big gas. That's what it is. So, 
thought I'd look up our cars and see what we could do. Okay, good. How far good. we could run. Uh, Jeff, a Camry? Is that what you drive? Yes. A yes. version of a Camry? It says here you should be able to go 65 to 91 miles. Holy cow. Because the gas remaining when the low light fuel warning is triggered is 2.6 gallons. So you should be able to go that far with your car. Holy oh, God. you shouldn't have told me that. Boy, a Camry's like <laughs> That's a what camel. It says. It's like a camel. It should be a camelry. This is from a website called <laughs> the website's called thrillist.com. So when, oh, when his, no. you feel like you want to have a thrill and you Six, sort of push that limit. 60 to 90. 60 to 90. Oh, when, when his light goes on, he has 60 to 90 miles. That's like two more days of gas. That's what it says. Wow. I don't know. Okay. The, the one that hit me was the Nissan Altima. It says it can go 81 to 114 miles. Wow. Because wow. they have three gallons of gas left. Nissan Altima. Yeah. Okay. So That's good. But, I mean, again... This is don't 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 like base anything off of yeah. what we're talking about. You go get your you know fill up your tank. Well, so, somebody's tested this then, obviously. Well, at some level, hmm. and then in my car, I drive a, a Chevy Impala. It's uh, forty-four to sixty-two miles. Really? Which you know, my, so it tells me about fifty miles. That's when the light comes on. So what's around there? What's my new car that I'm not happy with? Now you have a Passat. Yeah, it was not listed. I'm on, happy with it. Just so everybody, there's knows. no Volkswagen. There's a Jetta listed listed here. I did not see the Passat. I'm just checking to make sure. Once again, yeah, the you Passat know, never I, I runs I out of know. gas. I so know. it's okay. I went to PassatWorld.com. Did you? Yeah, which is apparently a thing. Okay. Wow. And they say between 30 and 40 miles. Now, this is a message board of people who own Passats who have actually road tested Between this. 30 or 40 miles. Yeah, and a guy said between 30 and 40 miles is what he can get. So you, out of all of us, you seem to be getting the worst gas mileage. You have no idea. Are you sure you don't have one of those Volkswagens? Yeah. No, because no, mine's a, it's a diesel. So, nah, it really isn't. But it's a diesel. And, you know, they wouldn't lie about anything with a diesel Volkswagen. Hmm. How much damage are you doing to your car if you run it until it's bone dry? Let me just tell you, I already know that answer. If it's a Tesla, you're doing about $40,000 damage. Ooh. Because if you do, if you, apparently, if you run the battery out on a Tesla, you are going to have to take a second mortgage out. (laughs) No, I've read the handbook. Yeah. It's a second mortgage, 40 grand or whatever to replace the battery is what... A Tesla owner told. See, and those cars are basically eighty percent battery. It's all battery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, that's kind of depressing. Yeah, I think it's good information to know because you're in the if you're driving somewhere and you're in between towns, there's no gas station for you'll you'll know how far maybe you need to get but, ready to walk. Right. You that don't guessing know game is the worst. Yeah. It's, it seems like you know the minute the the minute the lights on, you ought to you know fill you it think up. yeah, but. Sometimes you want to push it and see if you can get your gas mile your miles per gallon up just a little bit more before you fill up. Or what if you're at the end of the month, mm-hmm. you're a couple days before the end of the month and you're trying not to go beyond your gas budget. That's it, a good point. That's a great point. You know what, honestly? I'm now realizing <laughs> that I'm I'm out driving my own lease. Yeah. Cuz I've only given so many miles and uh, it's not looking good. Mm. So all this talk about you're depressing me. Okay, why don't you? Why don't we switch cars? You can drive my 2003 Toyota Camry no, no, Solara. No, no. It's really fun. My car is really fun to drive. Don't get me wrong. It's super all right. fun, and I love Apple Play. Yes, because I just pl- all I have to do is plug my phone in. There we go. And 
everything I have on my phone is now on my dashboard of my car, and I can so I can be seriously distracted. Well, within reason. And it's a six and a half inch screen, so it's a little harder to see than maybe the seven inch screen that I was looking at in other cars. Really, mine's and then like mine's like an iPad. Yeah, mine's huge. <laughs> why don't you brag about it? No, it is. It's just I, that's why I, I really enjoyed it because I was like, why are these people looking at postage stamps? Why don't you get like a real screen to look at? <sighs> Make him be quiet. And then you're playing with your fidget toy while you're yeah. driving too. It's hard to play with your fidget toy, watch Netflix, and drive with a very uh, responsive car. Yeah. Sports suspension. At 75 miles an hour. Um, yeah. Somebody's going to figure it on out. On a six and a half inch screen. Post just there. Anywho. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we're going to have to talk about what happened at Disneyland. Johnny Depp made an appearance. I guess in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, what do they call that area? Well, don't spoil it. It's fun stuff. Sounds a little drunk, though. But that's Johnny Depp. We'll take a break, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you make it through Friday and even better, make a better life. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to hour number two of the program. This is the show where we give you the latest, greatest research so that you can live a more informed, smarter, healthier life. Ah, you are welcome. And it's Friday, my friends. You made it through the week uh, for many. It's just time to now relax, pop in your Netflix. For others, it's time to go totally start weeding your yard. You're just going to sit around all weekend playing with that fidget toy. I've got a brand new fidget toy. Uh, If you don't know what a fidget toy is, apparently there's research out and they're using it to make a lot of money, saying that a lot of kids do better if they have something to fidget with in their hands, uh, then their brain actually works better. So are you implying fraudulent science? I'm not. I actually believe the science is true because I have a son that needs a fidget bat when he goes up to bat. I think it's only true because they're not frying their brains with drugs or other things that yeah, fry your like, brain. See, the guys in the '60s and the '70s, they would just fidget with other illegal things. But the kids today, they want to fidget with little fidget spinners, like this one. I hope you can hear it, mm-hmm. or other things, um, little uh, cubes. They have fidget cubes that you can push a bunch of buttons. Um, anyway, yeah. So I've been I've been testing my sons out. I, I took it, and I hope he makes it through school today because he will not be able to fidget with it. So it's not yours. No, no. I wouldn't spend money on this. They're only like $2. Well, that's the cheap one. Well, I know. What would you get? The $50 one? This was a $10 one. I would never the, – but the really the ones that were re, from the company that researched it, those are $20. Ooh. So if you want $20 fidgeting, you can do that. You can do $10 fidgeting. You can do $2 fidgeting or you can get rid of all of it and just do what the rest of us used to do for centuries, get a paper clip and bend it back and forth. Yeah. Free fidget. You know what they need to do to really make money on these things? They need to somehow get a data plan on those fidget toys. Then they'll really be raking in the dough. If you could get a $2 plan, that's a great idea. We may be onto something. Uh, We just just patented that idea. We patented it. That's hard to say. Hey, um, great show for you today. We're going to be talking about the power of holding hands. Honestly, great article. Holy cow. 
hand-holding is such a basic thing, such a basic thing. Even from birth, in utero, a baby will grab its own maybe umbilical cord and hold on to it. And when it comes out... Isn't the baby just saying, hey, let's have some more of that down here, please? Asking for more food? Like pulling on the cord. Like, Wait, bing, that, bing, that was bing. a movie. So Sorry. The, I so get the, off here. This is where I get off. The cord is, is uh, the baby's fidget toy. Exactly. Hand-holding, it, it's about touch. It's about endorphins. It's about Oxycontin. It's not Oxycontin. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> oxytocin. Well, we've been talking about trying to get kids off of yeah. drugs. So. Yeah, yeah. This is the new drug. Oxytocin is the one that you want to get them onto. But then you don't want them holding hands too young because it leads to the next problem. Anyway, Tiffany Field will be joining us, a professor in the Department of Pediatrics and Psychiatry um, at the University of Miami. And she's going to educate us on the power of touch and hand-holding. That'll be up. Of course, uh, some empty news as well. Plus, we're going to got to talk about Johnny Depp's appearance at Disneyland. And uh, so many other fun things. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what you got going for us? Facebook announced Thursday it will take action to counter what it calls extensive government-sponsored information campaigns designed to deceive people for geopolitical goals. Kind of a wow. big marketing. It's a big line. Yeah. Such operations are often conducted using fake accounts and go beyond the scope of the recent fake news phenomenon. The social media giant said, according to Reuters, which reviewed an advanced copy of the company's report on the matter, the well-funded and subtle efforts by nations and other organizations to spread misleading information and falsehoods. Facebook recently suspended 30,000 accounts in France in the run-up to their first round of the country's presidential election last Sunday because of this type of really interference that's going on. So they're just dumping accounts left and right. And they pop up left and right. Yeah, and then they make a new one. And- yeah, yeah, but they, they're doing their part trying to find these accounts that are simply out there to cause problems. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Doing what they can. New figures on the six biggest employers in the U.S. right now. Walmart employs the most of all publicly traded companies with a staggering 2.3 million workers on its payroll. Welcome to Walmart. It's also the second largest online retailer behind Amazon. They have 343,000 employees at Amazon, so Walmart has a little bit less than that. Um, Kroger, a Midwestern-based grocery store chain, comes in at around 443,000 employees. Home Depot, 406,000. Wow. Uh, IBM, 380,000. And rounding out the top five, McDonald's with 375,000 employees. You know what? For as much as we joke about all of these companies, and honestly, look at how many lives they're changing, at least employing people. But that's not even close to the biggest employer in the in the, uh, in the country. Federal government. The federal government, 22.3 million people work for the Fed. Now, those we'll still joke about. Oh, absolutely. I used to work for the federal government. Yeah, you were a census taker. No. Well, you... I was, but that's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to, I, I can't divulge. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. wow. He cleaned up after the parade. Apparently. The inaugural um, parade. Instagram, the photo sharing app, announced Wednesday that it now has more than 700 million monthly active users, up from 600 million just four months ago. They've added 100 million users in a quarter. Really? Yeah. Usually when you get to a, uh, a, a massive amount of people, like 600 million, it's hard to keep adding massive numbers of people because you'd think you'd reached 
a mass. Yeah, and yeah. You're not going to keep bringing in just huge numbers, but apparently they still are. Amazing. They uh, they, they added uh, 100 million, the fastest ever. It took six months for Instagram to jump from five to six million at, mon- at monthly active users. It took nine months to go from four to five. So doing it in just four months, adding another hundred million is uh, a milestone for them. The company attributes its growth to a spurt in multiple factors, including simplified sign-up process. The milestone also comes after Instagram added a barrage of new features over the past several months, some of which resemble those available on Snapchat. And as many said, flat stole from Snapchat. Just took their idea and went, oh, we can do that. We, we ought to do that. Snapchat stories, we'll do it on Instagram. So they're kind of, are they, but are they really harming Snapchat? Because yes. Snapchat was making a lot of moo. Well, no. Not, not moo. They were going public, right? No, they went public. They, they're not making money. They're spending it. <laughs> and they're not growing. And Insta's stealing and Insta's from Insta's growing fast because people are already using the, the product. The kids are already on it. Yeah. And so hey, it's. By the way, yeah. Insta's the back door to Facebook owned by the same company. Yeah. It's well, all... they, they gave their quarterly earnings yesterday. That's where all this comes from. Okay. Earlier this month, Instagram integrated disappearing messaging threads within the app, uh, the regular inbox, a movement to make it easier to see all types of private messages in one place. Instagram added stickers. Stickers? Ugh. Yeah, no. Uh, the, the ability to push, uh, publish more than one photo at a single time, turn off comments, remove followers. So they're they're trying to do all they can to make it as user-friendly, and they're copying Instagram or uh, Snapchat because they're kind of afraid of what Snapchat could possibly do to them. Interesting. Uh, a Tokyo jeweler said Tuesday it will put on sale a pure gold replica of the facial mask worn by Darth Vader from the Star Wars films. Okay, so they're going to give us a, a, a pure <sighs> replica. Pure gold. Oh, a pure gold replica of, of his mask. $1.4 million it costs. Wow. Weighs 33 pounds. Oh, Wow. It's to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the release of Star Wars, uh, the first film in the sci-fi franchise. That'll be on May the 4th, by the way, hmm. as, you know, May the 4th be May with you. Th- yeah. Um, the jeweler said the mask, 11 inches tall, 10 inches wide, be on sale. So if you want to go over to Japan, it's sitting on some street corner, $1.4 million. Darth the Vader's mask. mask. So, so you have a, a gold spinner. Do you want a gold Darth Vader mask? Nah. You'll pass? It's a lot of weight. You're good with the spinner? 33 pounds. They do say that, uh, you know, when you gain weight, it usually goes to your face first. Yeah, but so. that's, that's gold weight. Then they're gold weight. Um, interesting story. That's. Uh, it seems like that would make you two very happy. Eh, it's just stuff. There's all kinds of stuff out there. You two, you Trekkies. I'm not a Trekkie. No, not a Trekkie. Now, what do you call a Star Wars person? Um, a good American? An solid, honest, decent American. A solid citizen? Because we call Trek, Star Trek Let's call them normal. Yeah. Okay. Unless you're going to the conventions and, you know, well, taking out a mortgage a to... $1.4 million Darth Vader <laughs> mask. Yeah. Then you're just a little strange. Hey, uh, interesting little debut or um, appearance by someone very special at Disneyland. You know, you don't see this very often, but uh, Johnny Depp showed up at Disneyland and was alive, uh, you know, sometimes they have those automated automatron kind of characters. But he walks out in the Pirates of the Caribbean um, section of Disneyland and, and is sitting there talking live in character of, jo- of uh, Captain Jack Sparrow. That's pretty cool. And I think we have some audio. He's very hard to hear. But just if you imagine kind of a rum drunk pirate... Slurring his speech. 
you might want to take it, Jeff, because what does a rum drunk pirate sound like? I just got divorced, and so I need the money, Savvy. Look at you. By the way, those that aren't watching the video feed of the show that we don't have, um, you would have noticed that Jeff's eyes started to roll back in his head while he was channeling that character, Jack Sparrow. Well, I've been known to have some rum raisin ice cream, Savvy. You're good. So how cool would that be? You're going on a ride with your kids, and all of a sudden, Jack Sparrow's standing right there, entertaining the audience. And you could hear people in their boats like, what the? You know what he should have done? What? He should have gotten up there and just pretended to be all animatronic and just be like a robot. (laughs) And see then if people would have noticed. But Disney probably wouldn't want him to do that. What do you think Jack Sparrow would say um, about his upcoming movie? As Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Look, we know it's not going to be as good as the first one. But I need to get paid. Savvy? It's really good. Really good. We're here all day, folks. Uh, If you want more Jack Sparrow impersonations, just give Jeff a call. 1-855-CHAT-BYU. More? He'll uh, lay down anything, any voiceovers you want done for phones. Uh, for money. For your answering machine. He does it for free. He's he's that kind of a charitable <laughs> guy. Anyway. You'll be paying me for that impression, by the way. Oh, yeah. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm already paying for it. I'm not sure how to take that. I'm not either. I'm not sure how I meant it. Um, <laughs> another great uh, thing. Um, well, let's do this. Let's take a break. We're going to come back talking about the power of holding hands. There's something going on. Do you remember the first time you held someone's hand? I'm telling you. Sparks. And there's a reason. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. You know, there's something special about holding hands with another human being. All of us are innately aware of how simple this act can this simple act can stir instant intimacy, heighten our awareness, and express a deep connection. You know, the chemistry of two hands touching has so deeply captured our collective imagination. It has actually been the subject of some of our our uh, highest artistic achievements. Uh, for example, you, you can see it on the, in the Sistine Chapel, right? Poetry of Romeo and Juliet, lyrics of the Beatles song. Um, but the deal is, what is it? What is it that's so attractive about holding hands? How does it help? How does it, uh, how does it feed us deep down? Well, who better to help us than Tiffany Field, who is a professor in the Department of Pediatrics and Psychiatry and founder and the director of the Touch Research Institute, TRI, at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. She wrote a wonderful article that was uh, featured in Huffington Post about the science behind the profound power of holding hands, and we're honored to have her on the show. Tiffany, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. This talk about it, hand holding. I mean, really, it is about as basic of a of an activity that humans can engage in. It's and it starts at birth, even even pre birth. We read in your article. Um, what is it about hand holding that is so powerful? 
Well, you're right. It does start prenatally. We see uh, fetuses hanging onto their umbilical cord and uh, putting their their hand to their mouth and holding their hands. And, and twins are actually been seen in sonograms holding hands in utero. Man. So it's very powerful activity. And, of course, from uh, birth, the baby will clasp onto the parent's hand, and that's very, very rewarding. And then the little kids, you, you can see holding hands on the playground, and it goes on and on throughout life. I actually have some pictures of some 93-year-old couple walking down the beach holding hands. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, we, but, but there's we, something about that, right? Like it's, uh, it's it, it, from birth to death, that's where we go. Yeah. We're holding the hands. Well, I think it's electrifying, really. Uh, there, you know, everything that happens internally happens uh, through electrical, chemical uh, fields. And uh, we, we know, actually, that when you stimulate pressure receptors, which you're doing when you're holding hands, especially when your hands are intertwined because all the fingers are pressing against each other, you're stimulating pressure receptors. And what that does is it, it stimulates um, the vagus nerve in the brain, which is the largest nerve that goes to many, many places in the body. It slows down the heart. It slows down blood pressure. Uh, it, it helps digestion. It just makes it's a feel-good kind of uh, stimulus. And then what happens is that will reduce stress hormones, like cortisol is a culprit stress hormone. And when you reduce stress hormones, you increase natural killer cells, which are the front line of the immune system. And hmm. they kill bacterial and viral and cancer cells. So it's not only pleasurable and you know, feel good kind of activity, but it's also very helpful. Boy, I have I did not I did not know that. So uh, it's so when you go into a hospital room and you're holding someone's hand, you there is you're also creating a chemical reaction um, that's yes. also a healing reaction. Yes, you're reducing your stress and you're increasing your natural killer cells, and uh, that that's good. And there's a lot of data suggesting that. Um, nursing staff will hold hands with someone going through a procedure that's stressful, or if you have a significant other there, they'll hold hands, and that reduces the stress. There have been also a lot of experimental studies done where uh, couples are introduced to a stressful experience, like they have to give a a fake uh, speech or they have to count numbers in their head or something that's stressful. And if you hold hands with your partner before that occurs, they can show that the stress hormone cortisol is reduced and heart rate is reduced and so forth. So are we are we are we being negligent I guess intel, intentionally or accidentally when we're just not holding hands enough? All right. Well, I I recently got a call from a reporter asking me if 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 uh, social media was reducing touching and I said, well, we don't really have any studies on that, but I'm sitting in the LaGuardia Airport, and I'm looking around the room, and literally no one's touching anyone, including parents touching their two-year-olds. The two-year-olds have an iPad on their lap in, the, in their stroller, and everybody else is on an iPhone or, or an iPad or a computer. And so it's true. And you see people walking down the street holding hands, but they have, they have iPhones in the opposite ear. Mm. Um, and so they're really not talking to each other. It's nice to see them holding hands. That, that's a good start. 
But um, it, it is true. Touch is um, very, very much reduced in our society. And also because there's been a, a mandate across public schools, the, the, pre, the head of the National Education Association uh, placed a mandate on public schools not to um, um, have teachers touching the children. Oh, yeah. So they don't get touched in schools. Well, and think of that. That's horrible. I mean, I get it. I get it because there's the one you, that just goes too far. But some of these right. kids won't, may not get touched at home anyway. And the only touch well, – I mean, my, my wife teaches um, uh, uh, P.E. in oh, elementary cool. school. But she has kids that just – and young kids, kind or elementary school. Um, but they just – you can just see they're just craving to be touched. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, she would love to just put her arms around them and hold them, and they can't. I know. And that's particularly hard for PE teachers and, and athletic coaches and so forth in the school system because a lot of what they have to demonstrate involves uh, putting their arms around uh, them, you know. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it, it is. It's very much a shame. And the they expected the child abuse rate to decrease as a function of this mandate, but it hasn't. I mean, the crazies yeah. are still out there, right? Irrespective of this mandate. Well, and they're, yeah, so, it, it's the public touch that they wouldn't be doing. It's the private touch that they'll still be doing. Um, right. So, so we see we see kind of uh, technology influencing it. We see our maybe our busy lives anyway, um, mm-hmm. which is why I think talking about it is such an important uh, thing. Talk about Rom- Romania, the research that was done there about the children, um, because yes, it's so basic, isn't it? Touch, we need it, mm-hmm. and the, we have data mm-hmm. to show what happens when they don't get it. Right, right. Yes, I, I, I know there's data out there on the orphanages, and uh, and I visited them, and it's deplorable what's going on. The children are half their expected height. They, independent of their nutrition, they, they get good nutrition, but they don't get enough touch, as you can imagine. There's one or two caregivers for 30 or 40 kids on a, on a floor, and um, they, they just don't have time to touch all those children. So the children end up, a lot of them have autistic-like behaviors, a lot of them are half their expected height. A lot of them have been adopted by Americans, but because Romania, wanting to join the EU, uh, mandated that there be no more uh, adoption. Hmm. So these kids, though they are legally adopted by Americans, haven't been able to be sent to the American parents. Now, when kids do get foster-parented out in the Romanian system, they do improve. Um, but it's very, very gradual, and they never reach their expected height or their expected cognitive development because of this early deprivation. Yeah. Is um, – when you study it and you, and you study the power of touch, it's got to – I mean, there's got to be moments, Tiffany, where you're like, oh, holy cow. Because, again, it's such a basic thing that when somebody is struggling, when somebody's in pain – um, we reach out, we, we, we touch. Mm-hmm. And what, what has surprised you in the research that, uh, you know, you've been at this a while. And what is it that makes you just amazed at the power of something as simple as touch? Well, um, we, we use a lot with uh, premature babies and uh, it helps them grow. In fact, we know that, that we would save $4.8 billion 
if we massaged every preemie because those that get massaged uh, are released from the hospital faster. Holy so God. that those data have been really amazing to us. The other uh, the other extreme um, are people who have cancer or HIV, and we find that we can uh, slow the disease by by massaging. Um, we have parents massaging each other when the mother's pregnant to reduce her depression and reduce the prematurity rate. Um, so those are some of our, and, and of course, in all pain syndromes, and we've done A to Z in pain syndromes, but, but it's just magical. That's what most people go to massage therapists for, is for, for pain reduction. But we try to teach people to massage each other within families and then massage their children um, from birth. So you don't really need to go uh, have, you know, massage therapists except maybe to show you some techniques. And then, you know, have that be part of daily routine. I, I put it up right up there with diet and exercise as being uh, a daily must. And one of the very significant things about um, a back rub or a massage before bedtime is that it really helps uh, your sleep and it reduces what what what's really important is getting deep sleep because if you don't get enough deep sleep there's a substance called substance p with a capital p mm-hmm. that gets emitted and that causes pain so if you get enough deep sleep which you will if you're getting a back rub before you go to sleep or if you're really relaxed before you go to sleep you'll get more deep sleep you'll have less substance p emitted and you'll have then, then you'll be pain free Wow. And we've no, we've been able to document that in fibromyalgia and low back pain and migraine headaches and so forth. Isn't that amazing? So, because, again, fibromyalgia, um, you know, also has a lot of symptoms attributed to anxieties or depressions as well. And, yes, exactly. And it, it, how crazy would it be if we find out, you know, kind of this nebulous disease that people keep trying to figure out with fibro could be – fixed or enhanced by simply touching. I mean, so touch is really a medicine. Yeah, it really is a medicine. But, you know, you can get it. it, The the key thing here is the stimulation of the pressure receptors under the skin. So you can get you can get a lot of the same kind of stimulation from exercise. Think about it. You know, you're doing yoga, you're pressing your limbs against the floor or the ground and, and, and against each other. Um, even even fast walking, you're stimulating pressure receptors in the soles of your feet. Hmm. So, you know, people don't have to experience the severe effects of touch deprivation if they don't have someone touching them all the time. They can do a lot of self things like, you know, stimulating their pressure receptors other ways. Where are so are there are there pressure receptors? I guess there's pressure receptors all over our body. Yes, there are under under the skin. They are. Um, uh, pressure receptors. And the key is just to move the skin. So if you're stressed out at the office, for example, you can just take a tennis ball and rub it up and down your limbs or, or squeeze a, a ball in your, in your hands and you're, you're stimulating those pressure receptors. How interesting. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think of that really. I mean, I guess it's being aware of the fact that we, we just need to, we just need to get the pressure receptors moving. It, mm-hmm. It's funny too. Mm-hmm. I didn't, Realized that I gave somebody a hug the other day, and it just it just feels so right. It just feels so good, and yet we have all these kind of almost social stigmas about it in our relationships, mm-hmm. in our marriages. We have all this stigma because if we if I touch him, we know where that's going to go. 
And so I'm just not going to touch them. But then we end up not bringing all of these other great benefits to our relationships. Exactly. And the hugger and the huggy benefit as much. You know, we've we've documented that for massage, the massager and the massagee both benefit from from, because think about it. When you're hugging someone, you're also stimulating your pressure receptors. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's good all around. I mean, those the hugging and the the back slapping and, you know, all those things the, the, the athletic teams do, you know, the high fives and the hitting each other, you know, slapping each other when they, when they uh, perform well. Yeah. And they, they've actually noted that in the F, NFL and the, um, the uh, uh, I guess it's mostly been in the NFL and the, um, the, the NBA, they're the teams that perform the best are the teams that touch the most. Really? And that, yeah, that was an interesting, uh, that was an interesting study. And the Wall Street Journal actually did a study. They had their reporters counting the times the various Olympic teams touched each other. And the women's uh, beach volleyball and the men's basketball team, I think they were, they, they won the, 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 you know, they had the highest amount of touching. Um, so that was that was kind of interesting. How amazing is that? Well, you <laughs> you you also brought up an interesting point in the article about uh, American kids versus French and European kids. Oh yes, well that was just an excuse to go to Paris every summer. <laughs> How but, nice for you! <laughs> yeah, it was very nice. Yeah, so we did studies on the playgrounds there in in Paris and in Miami, and we did studies in, uh, and that was on preschool age kids and their parents. And then we did studies in McDonald's restaurants in uh, um, Paris and in, in Miami. And we found that the preschoolers who received more affectionate touch from their parents um, were, were less verbally and physically aggressive towards their peers. And the, the Parisian parents touched their kids more. They were more affectionate on the playground. Uh, and they, those kids were less verbally and physically aggressive towards each other than those in Miami. And the same with the teenagers over there. The, the teenagers would huddle in groups, and they'd be back rubbing each other and arms around each other, hanging all over each other, as opposed to the American adolescents who were doing a lot of uh, self-stim, a lot of flipping their hair and uh, cracking their knuckles and uh, doing more self-kind of stimulation. Yeah. Um, and the American kids were more verbally and, aggra- verbally and physically aggressive. Holy so we cow. we know that animal literature suggests the same thing with monkeys. If if they are touch deprived, they are more aggressive. No, and it makes. Sense. I mean, my wife's been telling me that forever, so that seems like a no brainer. But um, you have a very smart wife. <laughs> totally, she's she's she should be a researcher. All right, Tiffany, this is great stuff. Let's take a break and continue the discussion. We're speaking with Dr. Tiffany Field, who's a professor in the Department of Pediatrics and Psychiatry and the founder and director of the Touch Research Institute at the University of Miami, Miller School of Medicine. We'll be back, folks, helping you uh, be the good in the world one touch at a time. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking about the science behind the profound power of touch 
and especially touching hands. Dr. Tiffany Field joins us, who is a professor in the Department of Pediatrics and Psychiatry from the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. She also has a, um, a, an institute they've put together called the Touch Research Institute, and she's the director of TRI, Touch Research Institute. So we are picking her brain about all things relating to touch. Tiffany, thank you again for being with us. Oh, thank you. Is um, I mean, so you can – it makes sense. Like I was thinking, you know, people that go – are doing sit-ups every day, that are doing push-ups every day, that are doing yoga, they're, they're basically hitting all these touch points on their body and that too will create many of the same effects. So it doesn't always have to be human to human. Yes, that's right. And, that, and that's fortunate because, you know, people do have times when they're not closely involved uh, physically or intimately with someone. And so, so that becomes really important that they find substitutes for that. And, you know, I tell people, brush yourself in the shower, carry, around, carry a ball around so you can, you know, massage yourself because you're not going to get hand-holding or hugging all day long. Yeah, or, right. You know, not even necessarily a daily dose of that. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that becomes really, really important. And we actually have compared, for example, yoga with massage, and they have many of the sim- mm. same effects. Do you, is, there, um, is there a minimum uh, amount of time that it takes the receptors to fire? I think I've heard something about... You know, to you got to give each other a hug to your romantic partner, but if you hold it for so long, you're more likely to get the chemistry engaged. Yes, yes, that's true. I mean, more of that is is is, is uh, going to be more effective. But uh, we know it happens instantaneously hmm. because, uh, for example, think about it: when you hit your crazy bone, what you do, oh. for example, your elbow, yeah. you grab it yep. and 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 apply pressure. And that's because the pressure receptors are more myelinated. That means insulated, and they are longer fibers. So they get to the brain faster than the pain receptor does. And there's this metaphor for it called the gate theory, where the brain closes the gate to the pain because the brain has received stimulation from the pressure receptors. Um, You can also achieve that by temperature because temperature receptors are also longer as the pressure receptors are and better insulated than the pain receptors. So if, for example, you cut your hand, it, you know, you don't, you run it under water, cold water, yeah. uh, or you hurt your, you know, you hurt, you hurt yourself somehow, you run it under cold water. Well, you not only do that to reduce the inflammation, but to reduce the amount of pain that gets transmitted to the brain. How interesting. We put our, we put our hands on it. Or, I mean, I guess, too, you know, you put your hands on it and it, and all of a sudden it's communicating to the brain, fix mm-hmm. this. We have an issue here. Right. Send right, the meds. Exactly. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Right. Does, and I think that's why the pain is alleviated when, for example, someone is getting a painful procedure and a, a nurse or, or a family member, somebody holds your hand. That reduces. I mean, I, for example, I have a friend who goes for chemotherapy every three weeks. Mm. And they put um, um, an intravenous into her port, and it hurts for for a split second. It hurts, but she always has her best friend go with her for chemotherapy just to hold her hand during that one split second when they're introducing that port. That's beautiful and healing. I mean, in mm-hmm. a way, in a way, it's maybe that's a better way to look at touch as a healing act. 
an act mm-hmm. of service and healing, and you know, instead of uh, again, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to, I've got to hold the baby again. Why do I always have to hold the baby? Um, d- does our brain distinguish the touch um, and the touch between you know a romantic partner versus the parental touch versus the touch with a boss, or is it all the same? Well, no, I think it's very different, um, and most of it is um, psychologically different. I mean, to hold a hand of someone you're romantically in love with is going to feel different than holding a hand of a friend who's who's just there by your side. Um, and a lot of that is psychological, um, but it's a lot of it's also experiential. I mean, you spend more time holding hands with your romantic partner than you would with anyone else or with your child, for example. You know, um, and holding holding hands with children is is very special because they usually squeeze you or you know try to talk to you through their hands or hmm. you know they're they're just very uninhibited that way. And uh, the size difference is is feels good, and they have soft skin, and that feels good. And yes, people do discriminate the difference between hairy skin and and say the skin on the palms of your hand, which is not hairy. Uh, in between uh, soft skin and hard skin, in between their own skin and other people's skin, um, we're very discriminating about that. In, in fact, we have come to realize that not only do we discriminate, but we also send messages by touch. So there's there's different forms of touch for different emotions. So, for example, if you're if you're disgusted, you're going to, you know, kind of like kind of slap a person or, you know, hit them or whatever. You're just, you know, but if you're, if you're feeling sympathetic, you might put your arm around them or you might, you know, stroke their, their, their arm or or something of that nature. Um, So there's a lot of ways in which touch uh, is both discriminating and, and, and expressive. Yeah, it's true because there's cold touch, you know, you can tell, and there's warm touch in a way. You can tell if someone's mm-hmm. in and some or somebody's obligated or or how it is. Is and I, I assume these are all just socialized. We just learn it as we grow. Is that how it works, or is it uh, you know is it just is it natural? And so if somebody grows up not touching, have they been you know socialized to not touch? Right. Well, I think you know like everything else. Um, it's 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 half genetic and half uh, yeah. <laughs> environmental, um, and you know we know of course in evolution uh, a lot of our primate relatives engage in uh, for for example the bonobo you know are closest to uh, humans um, somewhere between chimps and humans they engage in a lot of this kind of hugging and holding hands and socially um, uh, intimate behavior. Um, so, so it is both innate and and learned. I think there are some people who shy away from touch, uh, perhaps because they've had a bad experience with touch. Yeah. Uh, perhaps because they've been deprived of touch and they don't know how to deal with it. But there's a lot of people. For example, we've done a study with sexually abused uh, women, and we thought they wouldn't like being massaged. But when the when the touch is predictable, like massage, for example. Uh, they like it. It's it's not it's not going to hurt them, and the same with uh, children with autism. Uh, they don't like being socially touched, uh, but they love being massaged. And uh, we think again, it's because it's predictable, 
And it also has to do with pressure because the, the pressure is, is key. If you lightly stroke someone, you're going to, you're going to, to arouse them. They're going to be, their heart rate's going to go up and their blood pressure's going to go up. And, um, it's, it's a turn on, but if you, if you stroke too lightly, it's like a tickle stimulus, mm. which feels, feels fun at first, but you know, too much of it is, is not good. Yeah. Um, um, so, so the moderate pressure, the moving the skin is what's, uh, key to, to all the positive effects. How do we, uh, train, I, I work with a lot of youth that are getting married and, um, it seems like a lot of times, you know, when you're dating, touch is kind of the heightened thing. Everybody wants it or, and then as we move further into our relationships, it almost becomes we, we've created weird meaning around it and and more complicated meaning around it. Is there a way that we do you think that we could be teaching healthy massage and and healthy touch habits to prepare our families to have you know better intimacy, better lives down the road? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, um, we, we have uh, always felt that we needed to teach parents to touch their uh, to massage their newborns and. With that, they would, you know, get more into massaging themselves because they feel how great it is to massage uh, babies. And when we show them that the effects are as great on them from doing it as they are in the babies, you know, they they will continue doing that. And I, I run into faculty uh, who are in our infant studies, and they're still massaging their 18-year-olds. I said, well, I hope they're massaging you, too. Yeah. You know, this should be a family project, you know, and... Uh, yeah, so I, I I think that that that's why we spend so much time doing massage studies because we feel that that's a way to get our society more back into touching each other and get away from this litigious thing that we have where we can't touch anybody or we're going to have a lawsuit. Um, I think within families, it's really important to um, have everybody touching each other, giving back rubs, you know, mm. pat on the shoulder, whatever, holding hands, you know, going to the movies and holding hands. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to see a family holding hands at the movies. It's so true. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, and I think the press is doing a lot to bring this back because um, we get a lot of press. And so I think that that's going to help a lot for reintroducing touch to our society. No, I, I totally agree. And I, I think you're, a, you're a, such a healer and such a helper. And I think your institute is, is a powerful, um, powerful example of finding the little things that make such a big difference. Dr. Tiffany Field, thank you so much for being with us. Keep up your great work there at the University of Miami and uh, the Touch Research Institute at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. Isn't that crazy? Touch. When we hurt ourselves, we apply pressure to the wound, right? And when we're emotionally hurting, we need a hug. And day in and day out, everybody needs it. So think about it. You, as a listener, where can you go touch and and bring a little healing to somebody close to you? Where have you been prompted during this interview to, to be different? Go and do it. We'll take a break, my friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you heal. One touch at a time. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. 
and happy day to you. Um, we are talking um, empty news now. The Matt Townsend News Show. We we bring you some news. A lot of the news we give you, it's it's not the news you might be hearing from all of the big channels. You know, CNN may not cover this, but we do because it's empty. Matt Townsend. The MT News Team. First on the scene, fifth on facts. So true. Hey, New Yorker uh, bowled a perfect 300 game um, in just 90 seconds. If you haven't seen this, go. We'll put it up on our uh, Twitter page at Dr. Matt Show. New York bowler rolled the perfect game in 90 seconds. Ben Catola hit 12 straight strikes in 86.9 seconds on April 5th. The 23-year-old man, thank you. They love bowling in our audience today. The 23-year-old man raced from one lane to the next in a 10-lane facility and then had to run all the way back to the beginning and threw two more balls. And guess what? He, he did it. Uh, he used lanes one and two twice. Katola is, is a 225 average bowler and a two-handed bowler, by the way, who works at the bowling alley. Now, wait a minute. When you get to the 10th frame, uh, don't you have the opportunity to get three strikes? Um, I think it's three, isn't it? I guess unless you hit two strikes in a row. No, I, so you, you need to make mm. a spare, but if you hit two strikes in a row... If, you, if you're if you're going for the spare, I guess you maybe get three balls. No, I think so. A perfect game means that he got all everything was a strike, right? No, so I guess that's what I'm saying though. So you might get one more ball if you didn't hit a strike to get a spare. Does that make sense? But if you're going for, you, I think to bowl a perfect game, you would have to bowl twelve balls hmm. as strikes. Okay, and I think that's I guess that's what he did. But the video is incredible because. He he holds the ball really strange, two hands it, and then kind of throws it and puts his spin on it. And he wouldn't even really watch if the if it hit a strike. He'd be moving to the next lane, pick up the ball, do the same thing, move to the next lane. He'd kind of look back, oh, strike, hit it, and he did it all the way down. Then he had from the 10th lane, he had to run all the way back to the first lane, through that one, through the next one, 390 seconds. Wow. I mean, what have you done? I mean, what have I done in 90 seconds? <laughs> Uh, by the way, apparently he broke uh, Pro Bowler Tom Doherty's through a perfect game, 12 lanes, 111 seconds. He beat the record. Killed it. Wow. You know, what's happening to this world? Hey, another story we just got to let you know about because this is one you're going to want to write home to your kids about. Um, think about it. Uh, meat. Don't talk about it. Custom agencies nearly 300 pounds of banned yak meat at JFK after a shipment was found hidden in sweaters, shawls, pants. Officials said Tuesday, while yak meat is not illegal in America, importing the meat from countries affected by foot and mouth disease or other infectious cattle viruses is prohibited. In the United States, uh, the seized meat, uh, apparently, I guess it came from Nepal. Certain seeds are also prohibited from import into the United States. But 291 pounds of yak meat, you know, you're you're sure to be caught with that one. And they found it they found it in uh, in sweaters and shawls. So watch it when Nepal's importing stuff. You, they may be trying to sneak people coming from Nepal. Maybe trying to sneak a little yak meat on you. You ever had some yak meat? I don't know. Kind of just the idea makes me a little sick. It's kind of an uh, onomatopoeia. Yeah. Yak. Yak! 
It's um, the thing about yak meat is I hear it tastes a lot like buffalo. Really? Yeah. I've never had buffalo either. Neither have I. Which I hear buffalo actually tastes a lot like elk. Nope. Never had it. Never had elk either. And I've heard that they all kind of taste like chicken. Yeah, in the end, it all just tastes like chicken. Ah, so sad. So, guys, watch out. If you're, if you're thinking of bringing in some yak meat, you might, you might want to abstain. We'll take a break, friends. Giving you the best in the world. Even the stuff from Nepal that's not supposed to be brought into this country. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the best. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Friday to you. You made it. You made it to our our final show of the week. And uh, for us, this is always just the saddest time because we got to let you go. And we're going to let you go for the weekend. And just be careful. Take what we've taught you all week, all the great lessons. Today, by the way, no exception. We'll be getting into movies because it's Friday, and on Fridays we we like to give you a nice launch into the weekend, which is why we do a a little movie segment. Uh, Jeff is taking over the movie segment. Um, This is some audio from Jeff's family reunion. That's not possible because my family reunion is this weekend. That was just our studio audience. Wow. Going bananas, going crazy. Yeah, going there's crazy. Some, there's some depth in that audience. Did yeah. you notice Jeff's got some dirt on his face? Okay. Or is it? Oh, wow. Do you see it? There's, yeah. a, there's a distinct line. What is that? It looks like dirt. Um, but uh, why I bring that up is, and we'll get to it a little it's bit like later. The, it's like the battery ran out. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the battery on the dirt machine ran out. Um, We're going to get to a story about Nordstrom is selling jeans that are covered in fake dirt. Yeah. And they cost about $425. They're causing kind of an uproar with Hmm. certain people. It's crazy. Like, yeah, Yeah. certain people that know about dirty stuff. Yeah. And dirty jobs. And then other people jump on it for television ratings. But that's a different story. Well, sure. But you always ride the ratings. So we will um, we will be getting into the dirt story, find out what really is on Jeff's face. Plus, Jeff's going to be talking um, to Rod Gustafson about uh, from Parent Previews about movies. We're sharing a couple of horror stories about movies that were shown to our children that uh, was a little they were a little traumatizing for them. Yeah. We went to a party once, and the parents that, you know, the people that own the house had a movie running for the kids in the house, and all the parents are outside. The movie was the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Oh, yeah. Right? And so. That's what's wrong with that. I I didn't have any kids at the time, so I just was like, oh, whatever. And I walked out of the house, and these other parents, they're like, someone mentioned, that's cool that they're in there watching Pirates of the Caribbean. I love that movie. And one mom's like, they're watching what? What? And she goes in the house. Da, 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 removes her children, comes back out. I mean, there's like 20 people at this party yeah. and points their finger at the homeowners, tells them how they've they've corrupted her children, and then stomps off to her car and leaves. And this is like a wow. gathering of like former high school friends coming together for kind of a high school friend re- you yeah, know, reunion kind of, thing. And 
the whole place was like, well, that was weird. And I had no idea who any of these people were. My wife goes, yeah, she's like that. That's how she is. But Back just, to the movie. <laughs> so be careful when you show people movies and you think movies yeah, are okay. You, you need to check. might be a little scary. Well, and that's one thing that we talk about in the interview is – Making sure that, uh, you know, the people that you're leaving your kids with or if your kids are seeing a movie somewhere else, that the people that own the home know what your standards are and what they should and should not yeah. be watching. Well, and just find out if they have something against pirates. Now, what age? I think like, that's really what it was about. Totally. Pirates of the Caribbean, what age would you say is OK for a kid to see that movie? Well, without trauma and without major therapy for the rest of their life? Yeah. Uh, is this the one where the Kraken is involved? Um, no, no, that's part two. Yeah, I would never show a kid the Kraken. Okay. But Kraken's it, too far. <laughs> but See, I don't even tell my kids there's anything – like there's ghosts under the bed or anything. I just show them the Kraken. Right. And then I'm like, the Kraken. And the Kraken means something at our house. Mm. Don't well, make me get the Kraken out. It is PG-13. Yeah. I would think at the very least 10 years old. Mm-hmm. With, with minor trauma. 12, 13 if you want limited trauma. 13 plus if you want it to be a trauma-free child. See, this is the advice you don't get on any other show. So five's too early? Yeah. Oh, okay. Five's definitely too early. Huh. Is that how old? Five. <laughs> I, that's, that's what these kids in this room were yeah. about five. So. I'm going to talk about a movie that I showed about five minutes to my kids. And, uh, how did they that were, go? It did not go well. But we'll get into that. Oh, I remember this story. Traumatizing. So we'll get into all that fun through the movies. Plus, we're going to talk to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out, uh, you know, how they are doing as they um, are recovering, I'm sure, from the NFL draft that everyone's talking about and the NBA as the Jazz are playing tonight. Again, not to bias anything. Um, Plus, uh, of course, we'll do the hero story and we will get to um, the importance of. Well, we already talked about not eating yak meat and don't try to import yak meat. That was last hour. Oh, that's a good tip, though. If you have a hankering for yak meat, Mm. make sure you go find us on iTunes or tune in or go to BYURadio.org. Get last hour because be careful anytime you grab, you know, a a, a nice steak of yak. Yakety yak. Don't talk back. There you go. Now let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? A spacecraft hovering between Saturn and its signature rings has successfully sent information back to Earth. The Cassini spacecraft was diving in Wednesday when NASA lost its connection. But the signal came back early Thursday, allowing Cassini to send back pictures of the rings. No spacecraft has ever been this close to Saturn uh, before, says Earl Maisie, the Cassini program director at NASA. When uh, we could only rely on prediction based on our experience with Saturn of what we thought the gap between the rings and Saturn would look like, I'm delighted to report that Cassini shot through the gap just as we planned and come out the other side in excellent shape. They thought maybe they destroyed this uh, this probe that had been out there for decades. And oh, interesting. They shot it through the rings, which are basically rocks. Yeah. And they thought and it, it might made have it. broke something, but it made it. And now they're getting all these pictures. You'll probably see them all weekend long. See, I always thought they were gas rings. No. It's, it's like chunks of probably some other planet yeah. that Saturn's consumed. Because you know Saturn. Saturn's a pig. We've talked to Pluto about Saturn before. Yeah. Uh, Saturn, actually, I thought uh, the rings on Saturn were from uh, Jupiter. No, no, they're from Pluto. Pluto gave those rings to Saturn. That's right. She didn't give them back. That's right, because they were getting engaged. Love what you do is a standard career counselor advice, but it might be difficult to find true love 
for low-paying jobs, dangerous situations, and poor prospects for the future. 24-7 Wall Street analyzed CareerCast's own data set for best and worst U.S. jobs, which used relatively objective criteria, such as career outlook, environmental stress level, and salary, and pulled out jobs that fared the worst using those combined gauges. Some involved obvious uh, physical peril, while others demonstrated, demonstrated a kind of the effects of the rapidly dissolving media in this country. Uh, the worst jobs with their median annual salaries. Newspaper reporter, that's number one, as being the worst job oh. in America. Newspaper reporter. Newspaper Dude, reporter. I didn't know they were still around. Yeah. Broadcaster is number two. Yeah. Worst job in America. My, that, hey, that's my degree. Hey, yeah. Uh, logger, as in a tree logger. Uh, enlisted military personnel, that's probably on the danger side. Yeah. You only get you know so much money for putting your life on the line. And pest control worker because, I mean, chemicals and crawling. Really? Into yeah, those are the five worst jobs in America according to work environment and pay and prospects for future, you know, advancement. Unbelievable. Yeah, the best jobs are all computer-based. So if you're not using a computer... <sighs> Better be a labor of love. Uh, Other news. The common stereotype is teens glued to their phones 24-7, but nearly 60% of teens in the U.S. have actually taken a break from social media. Like once or consistently? For a period of time. They're going to the fidget toys. Says the bulk of them voluntarily, a new new survey found. The Associated Press and the Center for Public Affairs Research surveyed teens between 13 and 17 found that the most value... Most of them value the feelings of connection with friends and family Hmm. that social media provide. A much smaller number associated with the negative emotions, such as being overwhelmed or needing to always show their best selves. The survey released Thursday found that teens' social media breaks are typically a week or longer and that boys are more likely to take longer breaks. Teens were allowed to cite multiple reasons for their breaks. Nearly two-thirds of teens took a break cited at least one voluntary reason. Uh, Amanda Liner, the lead researcher and expert on young people and technology use, said that she was surprised by this as it counters the broader narrative that teens are handcuffed to their social media profiles. Among the teens who took the voluntary break, 38% said they did it because social media was getting in the way of their schoolwork uh, or work in general. Uh, Nearly a quarter said they were tired of the conflict and drama. 20% said they were tired of having to keep up with what was going on. It's just too much. See, that's great news, though. Because they're getting it. It's maybe they're overwhelmed. Just adds to my wife's que- my wife's desire to have a total digital fast for a weekend. Oh, I'm yeah. like, I don't want to do this. Then you, you just end up binging on the other end of that. That's right. Yeah. Don't. Right. Slow and steady. Slow and steady kills the human race. <laughs> and finally, a South Dakota man who claims to have found a mouse in a can of soda is suing Coca-Cola saying he missed 60 hours of work and accumulated $1,000 in medical bills after becoming ill. In court documents, attorneys for Coca-Cola disputed that there was proof that the mouse ended up in the can during bottling, saying they disputed the proof. They said saying it would have been in a more advanced stage of decomposition if it was actually in the can, like the man said. Hey, do you not know that Coca-Cola is acidic? It would have eaten through that mouse days ago. Six weeks had passed between bottling and when... uh, Pootzer, the, the man who sued, opened the can on June 7th. Brian Johnson. What's attorney, his name? P-U-T-Z-I-E-R. Pootzer. Is it Pootzer? 
Sounds like it. Yeah. So Brian Johnson, one of the attorneys for Coca-Cola, said during motions Tuesday that the he anticipates testimony from a vet, veterinary pathologist who will analyze the mouse's decomposition. The defense also hopes to get a testimony from the quality assurance manager and line supervisor of the Portland, Indiana plant where the can was bottled. And Putzer is seeking $2,000 plus any general damage proven at trial with interest. And it all comes down to, did Coke... What what level does a mouse decompose in a can of Coke? I know. See, that's just no matter what happens, Coke cannot win this no. argument. <laughs> They're going to stand up there and say our our product would have just completely dissolved that mouse in record time. Your Honor, have you seen YouTube? Have you seen what our product can do? <laughs> you know, the great thing about this, they could easily do a study on this because studies are already performed on mice and rats. So yeah. there you go. I think those are usually – they're alive. The, the mice are alive. Yeah. Well, you start out with a live one, throw them in a can of Coke. And you don't want to associate it with your beverage yeah. that the, you're trying to And by the sell. way, the, the Just, first few minutes of that was probably heaven for that mouse. Oh, yeah. All that Coke? Yeah. Then there's that moment like, I'm full. <laughs> Then you're just kind of hanging out and in the, the sugar coke bath. just keeps coming. Yeah. Talking about um, phone addictions mm-hmm. and cell phone use, you heard about Supreme Court Justice um, – uh, what's his name now? Breyer, Stephen Breyer. Oh, okay. His cell phone went off in the middle of arguments. Huh. He accidentally carried his cell phone into the um, – into session. You're not supposed to have your phone there, right? Well, he never ever does it. OK. Except this time, he, I guess, you know, once you put the robes on. Oh, yeah. You don't. You forget. It's hard to get back into those pockets. Right. So he probably forgot. But uh, during arguments in Washington D.C., um, Justice Stephen Breyer, a phone starts to chime. And don't you wonder what his ringtone yeah, is? Yeah, I was going to say, what's his ringtone? What if it was just like uh, Limp Biscuit? Yeah, something his grandkids put on his phone. That'd be funny. <laughs> Some cool rapper. Justice Samuel Alito struggled to suppress a laugh so, at the uh, August at the August dignity. The August. Dignity of the high court was briefly interrupted. Mm. Oops, he said. Cell phones and other electronic devices are forbidden, forbidden, uh, in the ornate courtroom. But here's what Breyer, they just all kind of laughed. Of course, Justice Clarence Thomas, Thomas, he also laughed. Oh, wow. They got a laugh out of him. They got some emotion out of that Because that guy? was weird because that, yeah. that's kind of rare. Apparently, um, this was all taking place in, in the middle of uh, the drug maker Bristol Myers Squibb. Um, has a case that's going on before the Supreme Court right now huh. that may end up uh, impact a, impacting a class action suit. Right. So everyone's laughing yeah. except Bristol-Myers Squibb. Yeah, they're like, hey, guys, come on. we be serious here? Yeah, you could just see the attorney at Bristol-Myers calling uh, Justice Breyer's phone. <laughs> hmm. Trying to distract everybody. Speaking of uh, taking money from people, do you think <laughs> I Hold could – Hold it. <laughs> Where did that come from? Well, you said lawsuit – yeah. Okay. I mean, that was just a, that was a well. Yeah. So I'm looking out the window, seeing all these cars trying to find a parking spot so yes. that they can go to commencement or graduation or invocation or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, Devocation. Yes. Mutual destruction. Convocation. Do you think I could go out there to my parking spot and just hold up a sign that says five dollars for an amazing parking spot? Absolutely. Sure. Because it's yeah. right next yeah. door to the Marriott Center. Go do it. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was going to suggest no one go out to their car like to get a jacket or something. Five no. cars. Will oh my stop. gosh! And then you yeah. shut your door and walk back in the building, and they're shaking their fists at you. And they're mad at you because you went <laughs> out there and messed with them. 
Don't do that. But you could sell your parking spot. Even better, like go get in your car and just sit there oh, for yeah. like 10 minutes looking at your phone. I used to do that in college just because you know, I was bored and wanted yeah. to mess with people. You know what I like to do? Um, I've only done it once. But I like to start backing my car out mm-hmm. while I'm looking at my phone and then run into another car. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good move. <laughs> I mean, I did it once. Yeah. But I don't like to talk about it publicly. Even though you were the one that just brought it up. Oh, I did? Hmm. Strange. We'll take a break. When we come back, Jeff is going to be uh, taking over the show. Uh, Seriously, hang on, because sometimes it gets bumpy when Jeff's driving. He'll be in charge of uh, talking movies. Wrong. And media. Up next, stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, getting you ready for the weekend. Welcome back to the program. We are blessed once again, since it is Friday, to speak with our good friend at ParentPreviews.com, Rod Gustafson, who is a movie critic who is interested in helping us make informed decisions when it comes to choosing uh, good quality media for our families to uh, consume, which is interesting because our topic today is going to deal with when is it appropriate to sh- start showing certain movies to our children? And Rod, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Jeff. We've got a couple of horror stories that we're going to share each other today. <laughs> yeah. Because I especially recently have been finding out the hard way that, you know, maybe this wasn't a good time to show this particular movie to my family. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the other thing I find, Jeff, is it's usually the guys in the marriage that are pushing oh, yeah. this envelope. <laughs> yep, yep. So, uh, you know, one of those, I'll tell one of my stories here really quickly. We just watched uh, Pete's Dragon, mm-hmm. which is, uh, came out last year, I believe. The new one, right? Yes, yeah, the new yeah. one with Robert Redford. Yes. And, you know, usually I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying in the first few minutes of the film, Pete's parents die in a car accident, mm-hmm. which is the reason why he ends up in the woods and mm-hmm. raised essentially by this dragon. So, you know, a lot of questions were coming up right off the bat, like, oh, did their parents die? Yeah. Where are the parents? And it's kind of a sad movie because he is raised by mm-hmm. this dragon, doesn't really have any adult figures in his life, doesn't know much about the world. And so by the end of the film, I turned to my five-year-old and I said, did you like that movie? Big smile on her face. She's like, yeah, I did. Well, I find the sequel to that story that I hear about that from my wife uh, when she comes back in the room after the girls have gone down to sleep. <laughs> and she says, Sophia just could not stop crying and so i had this discussion with her well are you why are you sad was it because of this movie and she admitted that it was be, it, it was because of the movie and so i think just the the fear that something could happen to her mm-hmm. parents really sunk in mm-hmm. and it really affected her yeah and it's hard to judge kids because yes. why did she tell you it was okay i think often they feel like well dad really likes this movie and dad wants me to like this movie and so there's a little bit of this is early peer pressure going on as well you know where well he likes it it must be good i right. should be happy yeah, yeah so it, it kind of it sparked the idea of this conversation i want to have with you is how what 
tools do we have at our disposal to help us make better decisions about when to show our kids certain movies so they're not going to be scarred for mm-hmm. life? Because that's certainly not my intent. I might want to watch a movie, but I would much rather turn it off, even if it's a movie I'm really crazy about, than to scar my children for life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, obviously, okay, so blatant plug, the first thing you should do, research the movie right. even beyond the MPAA rating. And there's our website, parentpreviews.com, and a variety of other websites. Do a Google search and you can find them all. Um, and get a better, more detailed idea of, you know, what content you can expect in that movie. But the big thing, you know, okay, so this reminds me, over the 20 years that I've been doing this, writing movie reviews from a parent's perspective, we don't do age recommendations on our website. And we've had people, countless people say, tell me what age I should take, <laughs> to go to, can go to this movie. And I don't do it because... In my own experience, and I'm no child psychologist, but kids are totally different. One 10-year-old right. versus another 10-year-old, five-year-old versus another. And, uh, and it really depends on the, on the birth order, too, because, you know, and I think many parents will relate to this. I've got four children. Well, when the first one was like six, year old, six years old, we're still watching Veggie Tales, and we're still, you know, like we're just barely getting into a little bit of, you know, stuff. And then when the youngest was six... I'm thinking, whoa, you know, we're watching Star Wars, we're watching Star Trek, we're watching stuff that I'm thinking we never would have shown the older kid this. Sure. So it really depends on a lot of things. So the bottom line is parents, trust your judgment, trust your gut feeling, think about your child. And just because you like something, think about how your child has reacted to other stressful situations. Have they just rolled with it and they seem okay with stress and those types of things? Or are they really sensitive? And I really disagree with the notion of you've got to beat that sensitivity out of them. I think it's a Mm. dangerous game to play. Um, I've met some parents who say, well, you know, the world's a dangerous place. So, I mean, I need to show them this action film because this is what the world's like. No, no, I don't buy that. And I think that you, I think there's better ways to introduce children into the realities of life than using a Hollywood movie. I think it's such a, it's kind of a refreshing thing because like you said, that the world, or it's perceived as a dangerous place and you know growing up there were certain movies that I saw as a kid that I would never not even I wouldn't even want them as an adult to probably see mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. just that and that's not to say anything bad about my parents and it, it wasn't necessarily my parents that were the yeah. ones that were putting on that movie for me yeah but I mean, yeah. even some PG-13 movies that I saw I, I couldn't believe that I watched them at the age that I did mm-hmm. and it's also interesting because you see that in other aspects of our lives too where you know, I remember taking road trips and you're going on a road trip of sorts to go to your daughter's yep. wedding here pretty soon. And uh, my dad would pack up the back of the car. He would remove one of the seats so there was room for our luggage. Then he would pad it with pillows and blankets. <laughs> we would sleep the entire way there. Uh-huh. No seatbelt yeah, or anything. Yeah, the pre-seatbelt days. Yeah. Wasn't that glorious? And now <laughs> you're pretty much in a car seat until you're, you know, yeah. 12, 14, yeah. 15 years yeah. old. Yeah. It's just interesting how, how there's this shift in... And what is perceived as danger and what is perceived as not appropriate for our children. Mm -hmm. Luckily, it's not going the other way. Yeah. 
Yeah, luckily it isn't. But I think when it comes to media, which I'm obviously, this is a big thing for me. You know, I will see parents standing in a grocery store fidgeting over two grams of fat and one breakfast cereal versus three and another or cereal <laughs> or whatever. And yet they will not make those considerations often with media choices, with brain food. And I think that it's really, really imperative that we do a better job of that. Yeah. So I want to hear, you shared with me a story about an experience you had leaving your kids with babysitters who maybe didn't have all the experience that you would have hoped they would have had. And then also maybe uh, tell us what you did after that experience to help uh, alleviate some of the pain that was being felt. We, um, our oldest child was, I think, about, um, let's see, 10 years old, which we made the youngest about three or four. And uh, we we used to, we typically got a young girl down the street to babysit. She was absolutely wonderful. Had her for a few years, but she wasn't available. And we had to go out of town for, it wasn't when I say out of town, it was a couple of hours away, but we were gone for, I think, about eight hours, late into the evening. We were coming home around midnight. So there was this young, newly married couple, wonderful couple and uh and they offered to babysit our kids and we thought hey this is just dandy sure you know this will be great for them great for my kids anyhow we were driving home um it was probably about nine o'clock at night and being the nerd i was i already had a cell phone in my car and (laughs) so the phone rings and it's my son and he's whispering he says dad we're watching a movie and it's a bad movie and the babysitter's telling me we need to watch it. And so we're talking to him about this movie and like, oh, really? And, and it was a film I, I was vaguely familiar with, but I knew it was rated R. I knew it was an R-rated movie that they're watching on video. And I hadn't seen the movie. So anyhow, I told him, I said, just tell them you're not feeling well and, you know, you need to go to bed or whatever. So he worked something out with that. But by this point, he'd watched quite a bit of the movie. And and this young couple, I'm sure just because they wanted to watch the movie and keep the kids kind of contained, they said, you know, we're going to watch the movie together. So don't go wandering off and this type of thing. Well, this movie dealt with some very adult sexual topics. It, it really did. It was a comedy, certainly not a movie. I mean, I still wouldn't want my kids and their adults. Right. I wouldn't want them watching it. So what I did when we got home the next day, we did some debriefing. First of all, I went and rented the movie and I watched it. And I was like, oh boy, we got some big things to talk about. And so we sat down and, and talked with them and did some debriefing. But the, the biggest thing I learned from this was after that, we had a little shelf of movies. This was back in, you know, where it was all physical media, right? So we had our little shelf of DVDs. And those were the babysitter movies. These are the movies that, you know, that were approved for kid viewing with a babysitter. And we started making sure that we told our babysitters, you know, we, these are the movies that they can watch. We don't want you renting anything else. And we just want them watching this. And, and then that, that helped a whole lot. I mean, obviously we never had that sweet young couple babysitter children again, (laughs) but that was, that was the decision we made. And I thought, you know, it really is important that our kids understand what is acceptable to watch in our home. And when you have other people babysitting your children, that they know what's acceptable to watch as well. Those are all great ideas. So first, starting out, just to make sure that you do the research uh, before you go see the movie with your kid or show it to them. Also, I love the idea of 
coming up with a pre-approved list of films mm-hmm. that uh, that your kids are allowed to watch if you're leaving them with a babysitter. And then you brought up a great one, too. I know a lot of parents will do this. They'll preview the movie themselves before they decide whether or not they're going to show yes. it to their children. Yes, and that's the beauty of, of home video or whatever we call it these days. I have a lot of radio hosts say it's not home video anymore, <laughs> but I can't come up with a better name. And what I really like about viewing movies at home is that you have total control over the viewing experience. And I know, and, and you can even take it a step further where, where you know, companies like VidAngel, which are kind of struggling at the moment, but where they're trying to offer filtering services services and those types of things. But at the very least, you have a stop button. You have a pause button. Uh, we, for years, this is an ongoing joke in our family, a Christmas movie tradition is watching It's a Wonderful Life. Sure. Well, when we started doing this, our oldest boy pops out with, what's a run on the bank? Push the pause button. Give him a history of the depression. Interesting. The next year, we do it again and again. So now the joke is, we're still watching this movie and somebody says, Dad, can you tell me what's a run on the <laughs> bank? But, you know, that gives you that ability to be able to interpret what's happening on the screen in a home yeah. viewing environment. And don't be afraid of doing that because I know a lot of times I think parents especially and even the kids they say, why are you stopping the movie? But, you know, especially if you've got little kids, take that opportunity to do some interpretation for them. Yeah. So Rod, just in closing, any other tips or advice and this might be a good opportunity for you to plug parentpreviews.com. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anything that we can do to arm, better arm ourselves or be prepared when we're showing these films to our children? Well, as I mentioned, have a look and know what the content concerns are and the issues are. I think for parents, as your children get older and they start having media experiences without you and they're out with friends and, and they come home and you say, well, where have you been? And then, well, I watched a movie. What movie did you watch? And they come out with some title. We try really hard to give you discussion questions and that type of thing on the website so that you can have a discussion with your kids about the movie. And, you know, when people say to me, Rod, it's just a movie. It may be just a movie, but these are the building blocks in many cases of how young people start building up their perceptions of the world. And uh, no matter whether they're little or whether they're in their teens, these messages accumulate over time and you keep getting very similar messages over and over and over in popular culture. And so it's important that as parents that we that we let our kids know how do we feel about those messages and are they consistent with our own family's beliefs. Well, Rod, thank you so much for your time and thanks for being back here on the show, on the Matt Townsend Show, giving us some wonderful ideas of how we can help our children or how we can decide when it's appropriate to start showing certain films to our children. You can look up more info on Parent Previews at parentpreviews.com and uh, read a little bit more about Rod Gustafson as well. That's going to be it for this segment of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a quick break and we will return with some fun topics. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. You know, we here at the Matt Townsend Show may not have all the answers, but uh, we may have some insight into how to find the fountain of youth through media. So so many of the movies released today are remakes or reimaginings, if you will, of films we grew up with and loved. And uh, let me just turn this music off. I think we've had enough of this cheesy music. (laughs) Uh, We know what Hollywood executives' motives are uh, behind making these films. Um, To make more money, right? Right. They had a film that was successful back in the 90s. Do it again. Do it again. We know it's a guaranteed hit. 
So we know their motivations for making it, but what are our motivations for wanting to go see it? And I believe there are several different types of people uh, that make these decisions for very different reasons. So I want to talk a little bit about that, and I want to see which one you are, okay? okay? Yeah. So the first type of person that would be interested in seeing this movie would be somebody that wants to – they're looking for that fountain of youth. They want to retain their youth. Ah. They don't want to grow up. They've experienced wonderful things in their childhood, and they want to recapture that. For a lot of the people that will go see this film, Beauty they the were Beast. kids yeah. when, they were, when Beauty and the Beast came out right. in the they, early 90s, yeah. right? Okay. Um, and I, I thought of some things in my life that I just loved from my childhood that I tried to recreate later on, and uh-huh. it didn't really work. There was a game that I would play. You'd go to the Parks and Rec program at the park. Right. There was this table. It was called Pocket Golf, and it was kind of like a mix between billiards and golf. And you'd you'd have this little stick, and you'd knock this little carom, which is this little wooden token that gets bounced around the board, and you try to make it into these pockets. Yeah. Um, loved it. I bought it to play at home when I was in my late 20s. Didn't have the same effect. Interesting. I yeah, I couldn't. Yeah. recreate that magic. Another example, I you know I bought old TV shows that I used to watch as a kid from mm-hmm. Nickelodeon, uh, and one of them wasn't on Nickelodeon, but I, there was a show called Salute Your Shorts about these <laughs> these teens at summer camp, and there was Pee Wee's Playhouse, and I tried watching them again, and I I just right. I couldn't get into them anymore. Do you have any examples yeah. from your life? No, totally. There, there's a there's a handheld like basketball game by that Mattel made. I was just thinking of this during the show when we were talking about basketball. I loved it. I used to play it all the time, and it was my favorite game. They also had a Mattel baseball game as well, and loved it. I bought one for my kids, and it's not the same yeah. because well now we've played these full graphic kind of you know uh, what's it called just incredible sports games, they don't compare. But they're still the nostalgia. So it's interesting. I spent the money, but then I was disappointed. And I think psychologically, a lot of people, if you're going for the nostalgia, it's it's not going to be the same thing because Mm-mm. you've grown up. I think some of the people want to watch this, watch um, Beauty and the Beast because it's almost maybe even a throwback to even earlier days, 50s and 60s, mm. musicals. Dancing, yeah, where it's even taking you to another era that you never lived through, but you want to live through. Right. Which is interesting because that kind of leads to the next person that's going to see this type of movie, which is someone that is interested in passing the baton. Ah. There are certain films, certain activities that are really just timeless. Mm -hmm. You know, some of those other things we mentioned are a little more dated or it's just impossible to try to recreate the happiness that we experience because there's so much that is in, uh, that uh, our circumstances right. determine that, you know, anyway. The baton so passing. Passing the baton. I remember taking road trips. We lived in Southern California. We'd always go to Utah for family vacations to visit family. And my dad would pop in a tape by uh. the Coasters. Ooh. Do you remember the Coasters? No. Uh-uh. They did songs like Yakety Yak, oh, Charlie cool. Brown, yeah. Poison Ivy, Love Potion Number no. 9. Right. Those are great. Great songs that I loved as a kid. And 
So I kind of saw that as my dad passing off the baton. Here are songs that I enjoyed when I was a kid. Maybe I listen to other music now, but maybe they'll enjoy it as much as I did. Mm. So trying to recreate some of those same memories and experiences for the next generation. Harlem Globetrotters. We did did that with my kids. Took the kids to the Harlem Globetrotters. But they weren't – it didn't hand off as well. Really? Now, the music would. I might use the coasters. Yeah. But, yeah, they did – I mean, yeah. Interesting, because they are now they they live in a day when they do trick shots and they're on a trampoline playing basketball now, and it's a different era. Yeah, well, at least they're getting exercise. That's right. That's at least good. you're getting that. So, as far as movies go, there were a couple of of examples that I thought of that I've watched with my children yeah. that are really just timeless. Meaning, I still enjoy them. Just as much as I used to when I was a kid. So one of them is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. (laughs) Yeah. When I was growing up, any time I was sick and had to stay home from school, this is the movie I would watch. I don't know why. That's just the way it was. And I showed it to my kids, and we've watched it a couple of times. They like it. Now I'm reading the book to them. See? That's good. The Wizard of Oz. Oh, that's a huge – yeah. The Wizard of Oz. That's one everyone has to experience. I think that is probably – when you say timeless movie, that's probably the best example you could give. Totally. It still holds up. Yep. It's still Sound of Music. Hmm. Anyway, uh yeah. <laughs> my kids my I'd, I'd rewatch that, but my you know. son in law, daughter in law my son in law and daughter love it. They got married and went on uh kind of a little mini honeymoon eventually to all over the Sound of Music um, sites in Europe. Yep, and they have sing-alongs for yeah, that movie all the, the time. The you know, that, that movie touches different people for different reasons. I, I'd watch it again, right? but I don't, I don't think it was as epic and as magical as The Wizard of Oz. For no. me, anyway. No. We, uh, with my kids, it was Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh. <gasps> Steve Martin, mm-hmm. I, I love so that movie. I my kids love it. all watch Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and another show they all love, Hogan's Heroes. Oh yeah! So when we go on a trip, we'll go watch a bunch of Hogan's Heroes, yeah. and they love it. There's one more category that yeah. I want to talk about okay. here. So this is somebody that just wants to justify seeing a movie that they probably shouldn't, by all accounts, be seeing, be wanting to see. Yeah, yeah. For example, there's a movie that came out a couple years back called Goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Now, I grew up reading those books, and I really wanted to see this movie, not because, you know, obviously the movie wasn't around when I was a kid, but for some reason it looked really appealing to me. Yeah, the kid in you. But I couldn't figure out a way to see this movie and be able to explain, yeah, I went and saw this movie by myself. So you had to have children. Right, but... It's a little – my kids are a little too young for this type of movie. They'd be scared out of their wits. Right. I ended up seeing it anyway, and that's not – you know, that's (laughs) – another – oh, and this is one I told you about recently. I wanted to watch Jumanji. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I'll show it to my kids. They'll love it. Five minutes into it, before anything even pops out of this board game – if you're not familiar with Jumanji, it's about this board game that the things that dis- are described in the game come to, come life, to life and they, there's in parallel incredible ways, right? Yes. So before anything even came out of the board, all there was was a little bit of drumming, you know, like boom, ba-da-ba-da-boom, ba-da-ba-da-boom, ba-da-ba. So there was a stampede or something coming. 
It freaked out my girls. <laughs> I looked over. They're both covering their eyes, and they're both screaming, turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> and I, 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 can't, I couldn't turn it off and delete it from my DVR fast enough. <laughs> my five-year-old turns to me with the saddest eyes and says, why would you show that to us? <laughs> and I felt like the worst dad of uh, the year. Kids, it's not about you on this one. This was daddy. Just this is daddy wanting a movie. So do you feel like you can recapture your youth or do you want to or would you rather just pass on the baton to the next generation? You know what I notice? I recapture my youth watching my kids capture their youth. Hmm. So instead of me trying to get them to live what I lived, I might try it. But I notice about half the time it doesn't work. Right. But. When I watch them and I get into what they love, then I actually feel younger. Playing what they play, watching what they watch, doing more what they do. So it's actually – it's all new. It's a new youth instead of an old youth. That is a great point. That's that's the way I feel going to Disneyland now with my kids. Yeah, exactly. Well, Matt, this has been a wonderful, interesting topic. Fun. It took me back. You know, we may not be able to find a fountain of youth through media, but uh, at least we can create some great memories for yourself and your offspring as well. We'll take a break and come back and talk to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Ah, the great music. You know, I tell you, there's nothing that says, hey, take me out to the ballpark more than the next uh, our next guests. Spencer and Jerem, they just bring Americana and all sports to your heart. Now let's go down to them at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. How oh, are yes. thou? Charge! Hello. <laughs> How you doing? Well, honestly... Health-wise, I have been better, Matt. Oh, are you under the weather? Yeah, yeah, I am, but it's okay. I am a doctor. What uh, What are you suffering from? Nausea, currently. Ooh. Which is super fun. Yeah, that's never good. Do you I know what I... It doesn't happen often, so I'm a little weirded out right now. You know what I try to think of when I, when I feel like that? I think of being on a cruise ship, uh, just on the top deck. Oh, don't, yeah. Don't do this Oh, my me. gosh. That's oh, what I was goodness. just thinking. Oh. Hey, let, let me take your mind off it. Okay, yes, please do that. And, and Jerem, feel free to pipe in uh, if he needs to grab a garbage can or anything. Um, I'm thinking uh, NFL draft last night. Overall, any surprises? Uh, yeah, the second pick overall, Trubisky going to the Chicago Bears. Now, everyone's well, well, now why is that? Why because is that so he surprising? Was eight and five at North Carolina. E. Four months ago, and he was he wasn't on anyone's draft board, and now he's the second pick. And it's and it's Chicago, and they've struggled finding they need a quarterback. Well, and yeah. they're coming off of Jay Cutler, who was like Trubisky, a guy that had a winning record at Vanderbilt, but was not a like, winning record. That's like exactly a minimum. Exactly, you shouldn't even bring that up. <laughs> but he wasn't a world beater at Vanderbilt, right? So yeah. the, the Bears fans are saying this is Jay Cutler all over again. Oh, that's got to be frustrating. But who knows? Maybe he'll be magical. Maybe there's something about him that we don't know. I mean, it, it, Bears, his, who cares? His name is Trubisky. 
<laughs> everybody, everybody will bring up Tom Brady. Well, he was taken in the sixth round with the one greatest outlier overall yeah. pick. NFL draft <laughs> history. Yeah, that's and what they do. Uh, BYU grad Andy Reid with the Chiefs moved up really high to what the eleventh or twelfth pick to get Patrick Mahomes of Texas Tech. Ooh, is that a good? Who get? I didn't think was one of the top ten college quarterbacks last year. Oh, Andy Reid saw something they liked clearly. <laughs> and then wow. um, what's his name? Uh, Bowles went to twentieth overall to the Denver we don't, Broncos. We don't talk about. Let's go up north on the show. Pretty cool that he had his child with him, though. Yeah, wasn't that, that was cool? Fun. And then he, he also apparently mentioned that he served his mission <laughs> in Denver. So it's like going home. Oh, yeah, how, how about that? And it, his his teammate Devonte Booker. Is a running back? So said he could potentially cool. block for his former college teammate. Yeah. He he was recruited by Brigham Young, and uh, yeah, that recruitment uh, didn't. Go now wait, very well. now wait a second. Mm. Did Garrett actually play with Devontae Booker? Because he was only at Utah for one year, right? Yeah. Where was he before he, that? That's right. He did so not. He did play not with block Booker. for Devontae Booker. They both went to Utah, but Garrett Bowles was in. That's right. Junior because college. he left after his junior year. Ah. Yeah, Devon, or, uh, Garrett Bowles was. Uh, teammates with Jonah Trinaman at Snow. He was a originally a BYU commit to Garrett <laughs> 2J. Oh. Yeah. So that, yeah. And it, it didn't work out. Darn it. You know, you try. That's all I'll say about that. You try, you try. Okay, answer me this one, you two. Derek Jeter, Jeb Bush, they win the bid to get the Florida Marlins. Now, the Miami Marlins now. Yeah. Oh, are they going back to Miami? Are they calling it oh, Miami yeah, again? Miami Marlins. Miami Marlins. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Um, here's the question. Which name matters more, Jeb Bush or Derek Jeter? Are you kidding that me? That one's clear. Are you kidding Which me? one has oh, a you sponsorship are, with You guys love Bush fans. Jump You're man. Bush fans. Yeah, who has a sponsorship with the Jordan brand and Gatorade and also hey. had a starting lineup of nine Hollywood girlfriends? <laughs> Jeb have you, Bush? Have you heard about that? No. So, obviously, the ladies' men, right? Yeah. ESPN showed this graphic <laughs> of... Of his dating life? Of, yes. like, like a yes. starting baseball lineup, like the field, like the outfield, the infield, is a picture of the, like, like hottest girls he dated. I'm pulling up the image right now. I'm going to email it to you. It's, Holy um, cow. Are you serious? It's the serious? funniest graphic I've ever seen. Sports yes. Nation did it, of course. Not That's us. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, yeah, the other Sports Nation. We are BYU Sports Nation. Is, is this maybe why ESPN's losing so many employees? Oh, there are a lot of reasons to go into that. But okay. I'm guessing that the Derek Jeter starting lineup is the no. That's the, the greatest graphic they've ever made. Yes, <laughs> that's, arguably so yes. funny. It's that is inar- awesome. You cannot even argue it. It's that good. It's um, so they, I didn't realize they're renaming. I mean, they're it's going back to the. It started as the Florida Marlins, and this then was it went a few years ago. Yeah. Hey, okay, one more question for you. We just got to get out because I yeah. know you guys are big NASCAR fans. Dell Earnhardt retiring. Oh yeah, what is he number eight? Yeah, and fortieth. Uh, he's only forty years old. But he's 40 years old. He's a man. But he's also crashing into walls. Well, and has a little head injury, apparently. You talk about a dangerous sport. Yeah. yeah. It's, ugh. and the sensitivity, obviously, in his family, of course, his father you, died right? in, in action. So, you don't want to, you, you got to live scary. your good years. That's right. Yeah. So, and he can, he can do whatever. I mean, he is a big deal in, in, uh, U.S. sports. He can, he can commentate. He yeah. could come out of retirement. He can, Sponsorships forever. I mean, he's in a great spot. And he's, hey, Matt, he, I just I don't think I he's just emailed be, your uh, BYU account. Okay, I'm looking. I'm looking. Um, okay, while I'm looking, will you uh, talk about your show? You're still neither of you are going into retirement, right? No, no, no early me. retirement. Nope. Okay, we are not going into early retirement. In <laughs> fact, we are peaking at the right time. Yes, Matthew. you are. Minus the nauseousness. Okay, yeah, ahead. yeah. Thanks for the boat reference Sorry. too. Mm-hmm. Uh, today's show. 
we have our Twitter question, which is centered on the NFL draft because we've been building up to that all week, and that is which BYU player on this year's or in available for this year's draft do you think will have the most productive NFL career? Now, what does productive mean? Is it the longest lasting? Is it the most lucrative? Uh, Is it the most statistically driven? Like, you decide. That is our Twitter question today. Also, Jamal Williams has been projected to go by at least one publication today on day two by the end of the third round. And Sean Olmstead, the uh, head coach of BYU men's volleyball, will join us to preview the national championship run. Mm. That's exciting. Yeah. It's a great show. Did I miss anything, Jerem? Oh, yeah, no, Dave, David Nixon, too. And, and our homie David Nixon. What, <laughs> the insight on uh, Taysom Hill, what is he thinking right yeah, now? Yeah, and David Nixon is a guy that made it as an undrafted free agent. So we'll go through the mentality of what it was like to be him on draft day about nine years ago. Oh, my heavens. You know what's super exciting about David Nixon? He apparently just moved into my local church unit. Oh, no kidding. And I haven't had a chance to talk to him. Oh, talk, David's the coolest, man. He's the greatest, but he, and he took my sons apparently out on a camp tri- camping trip. And they oh, really? all returned, and no, no one was harmed. David's the man, dude. Tell, him he's, a, tell him he's a great, great youth leader. We will. Okay. We might not mention it on the air. Yeah. Don't, don't mention it on the air. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, like, that's hey, definitely off the air. Like, Did you get the email? Uh, I haven't got it yet. It's not there. Come on. It's, I, it went straight into your spam? It's right. Yeah, for some reason, you're in my spam file. <laughs> BYU. Uh, no, you're not. Like, and I'm uh, looking. What is this oh, content? This you know is inappropriate. What? You're in my promotions file. Oh, oh, that's a great graphic. There you go, baby. <laughs> Mariah Carey in left right? field. Scarlett Johansson is starting its uh, shortstop. <laughs> of course. Hannah Davis, Minka Kelly. Holy cow, this guy has been around the bases. <laughs> oh, um, boy. <laughs> okay, we, uh, we're going to let you guys go. Go have a nice show. Take care of your nausea. And everybody, you're gonna, it's only three minutes away. You're going to want to get there. Get there to watch BYU Sports Nation. For, pound for pound, greatest show on earth. I mean, next to the circus, of course. Who owns that phrase? Um, we... <laughs> Just trying to, uh, just trying. I was trying to calculate in my mind. I'm trying to weigh the, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how much they weigh. Uh, we talked about Nordstrom's is selling jeans covered in fake dirt. The crazy thing is they're $425. So if you don't have enough, you know, to do and, and you, you still want to look like you're out getting dirty in your jeans, you can now from Nordstrom uh, throw down 425 bucks, and they'll sell you the pre-muddied jeans and then you can go tell everybody you're you you know you know how to work hard, but uh, the there's a Mike Rowe who's the host of Discovery Channel's Dirty Jobs. He's kind of upset about it. You're too you're you're afraid to get down and dirty. Basically, he said on his Facebook page, the Barracuda straight leg jeans aren't pants. They're not even fashion. They're a costume for wealthy people who see work as ironic, not iconic. Boom. Boom. He's a smart guy. Hey, our hero of the day happens to be a five-year-old boy that saves his dad after a Kentucky car crash. A five-year-old Kentucky boy is being credited with saving his father's life. Um, Aiden Eisen and his dad, Shane, were driving along Route 7 in uh, Letcher County Tuesday when the Mustang they were in hydroplane blew a tire and went spinning out of control over an embankment. I just kept spinning. It just kept spinning. Then it went down and it landed on its head. 
the car did, Aiden said. Aiden was in the back seat when the car landed just a few feet away from a stream. Then I got out of the back window that was busted. I climbed out, he recalled. Despite a broken leg, Aiden walked up the embankment along the road to get help. He was climbing out of the window in panic and turned around and looked at his dad and said, you're getting, um, you're getting out of this car one way or another, Dad. And he took off up the embankment and Aiden called for some help, got some flag down some people who then came and, uh, and helped get Dad out. And, and Dad is now alive because of it. So congratulations to you, Aiden Eisen, hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. We take all types, all sizes, all ages. Anybody can do a good turn, right? And anyone can be there to be a hero when we need them. That's the show, and that is the show for the week. It's it. Now you've got the weekend, my friends. We'll be back Monday, 9 to noon Eastern time, to start it all again. Until then, look us up on iTunes, on Stitcher. Check out our Facebook page and uh, our, our, Twitter hand, our Twitter handle is at Dr. Matt Show. Until Monday, let's take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk again Monday.